Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 37 for March 1st, 2024. Today we are joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Better Klavik. Hi. And Jenna Garcia. Hello. As always, we're a listener-supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more by going to remapradio.com and clicking sign up to purchase monthly or yearly versions of our available membership plans. Uh, we got some great, fun topics to get into uh, in a, a banner year for the industry. Can I can uh, I give you something a little lighthearted before we? I, I know that we like to eat our vegetables, but you wanted. I almost. I thought I really fucked up my PC yesterday. Okay. Um, oh. So. It's not. I'm on it. It's fine. But I heard <laughs> noises that sounded like the PC, like someone had taken sand and thrown into it. And it was just just grinding. Oh. Um, so this week we had a historic uh, like change in temperature. We so on on Tuesday we had it was 75 degrees out and like depend like like it felt like with the sun being blazing out closer to 80 wild for the end of February in which you can still get uh you know several feet of snow depending on the winter. So I I had shorts on, I had the sliding glass door to my office wide open. I'm enjoying this spring. Well, what was happening that evening was that it was quickly going to go from 70 to 20 to wind chills to as low as like 12. And there was also a storm coming through. So I was in a tornado shelter, like a lot of stuff ended up happening on Tuesday night. And what I didn't do was close the sliding glass door to my office. And so my office, with the door shut and the window open, had howling winds, uh, snow produced, and a door open into that office as the opposite of a hot box, a cold box. I came down the <laughs> next day, stepped in, found snow in my office. Everything I touched was like essentially kind of frosted. And I went, oh, uh, and I have a little heater. So I turned that on. I shut the, I shut the door. I was like, well, let's boot up this PC. This PC gets a little hot, you know, when it, when it's going, we'll, we'll, we'll see if that can help. And it just started going. I'm like, uh, is that, is that, I don't think that's what a PC is supposed to sound like. like, (laughs) Kind of hitting the PC to be like, do we need to knock some? Frost off of you? Like, what What exactly is going on here? So I turned it on, because look, look, sometimes PCs make weird noises. 
and you give it just a little bit of time before you pull the eject button. I got about 30 seconds in before I was having like a panic attack about this PC. Turned it off, walked upstairs, informed my wife about the state of my office, which is already a cold office. I've mentioned that on the podcast before. And so I'd, I'd, I'd somehow add it to my woes. And I gave it another like 20 minutes, came in, turned it on. Fewer grinding noises like oh i guess that's an i guess that's an improvement and then shut it off again <laughs> just hit that power button right in the back like i'm not dealing with this and then came back another half an hour later and and it and it was fine i know cold is like okay ish for elect electronics but i worried because of the heat to cold yeah. heating up again mm-hmm. that i was going to cause condensation can be condensation not good yeah. Con- yeah if you like you can you know you can put a a PC in a cold garage and you're not going to break it, but it's the condensation that that worried me. It just, everything seems, everything seems okie dokie. I've used it for 25 hours since, but I, I don't like Rob, you've had PCs longer than me. I, I just, the noises I heard out of that were as scary as they get. It was just like, <laughs> no, I listen to you all the time. We've never made a noise that loud. <laughs> No, like the minute you start hearing something that sounds like low RPM, torque heavy, like in, in a PC, it's not really what any moving parts do. Yeah, the minute you hear like grinding or yeah, I don't like that. Don't like that. Don't. That's not. That's I mean, not what you want to hear. What's left at this point aside from fans though that will make the noise, right? I think it was the fan. So yeah. that's that's my be, yeah. my yeah. presumption was. Uh, I mean, the, the the fan on uh, like my card already freaks me out because it has two fans, but it only spins up the second fan if it needs to. It doesn't. It doesn't do both fans. I I didn't know that, Rob. When I put that card in, and I was like, "Wow, like my games are running great. I love this." And I'm like, "Why isn't did I did I like not connect a cable? And then I frantically Googled it. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. That's that second fan sits idle unless it unless it needs it. Oh. So, yeah. Well, okay. I mean but it's yes. just a weird thing. They're all they're all tuned now for like uh they're only going to have to deliver like hundred percent of their capacity, like very right. rarely. Uh so yeah, they which I think this is what leads folks to uh that, that thing that Brad Shoemaker is kind of obsessed with, which is like detuning uh, video cards so that they don't spike up like that. And you trim a lot of like power consumption and heat from them. Oh. Um, yeah. So like theoretically makes it cheaper to operate them and uh, less wear and tear on them, which is which is nice. I'm happy. I'm happy for people who are into that. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm not. I am definitely. I am definitely not doing the opposite of hot rodding anything in my PC. I'm definitely not being like, you know, this Ferrari is great, but it could be more like a Volvo. I would. I just want to bring this down in a nice, sensible power. Uh, so yeah. Um, we have. <laughs> we've got more layoffs is I don't, I don't even layoff. know where to begin right like yeah. I, every week I update a little project doc we have for the podcast that lets me get a sense <laughs> of here's all the news I think we might want to cover and then like the night before I kind of call it together to be like this stuff is the, the stuff that stood out for the end of the week and it just kept fucking like I don't mean to laugh but like I just kept mm-hmm. adding things like oh Sony well, layoffs like clearly what else are we going to talk about that's going to take up an hour of the podcast and yeah. now it's just my god it's also not a great like <laughs> this is the really shitty part of this is 
like this is such a down period and this like this is like sort of the story of the week every week that you start running into problems of like I don't have a ton more to say about layoffs but they keep happening like at this point it's uh there's not there's not some like uh here's oh you know this this stuff like brings a, no- a novel new insight to mind oh not you found really. a way this week rob you found a way <laughs> <laughs> i got people i had people coming into my final fantasy uh stream being like is everything okay at remap i'm like yeah why <laughs> like what is are we just what how are we supposed to read rob's article and i'm like what and i pulled it up and i was like oh that's about other things we're fine don't worry about it we're not decimating ourselves yeah exactly i'm actually kind of like i'm very curious people who are like that you would think for a second that like is rob announcing that remap breaking <laughs> yeah, up or right. something with by pretending to be a Roman legate and yeah. like discussing decimating a legion, like that is very strange. The thing I can understand is the uh, article summary gets cut off in most email readers, so it's like mm. uh, difficult news about our. And I can see where right. like that would freak people out, um, but then Julius Caesar pops up and the opening line of the yeah. email: "Salve, soldiers of the Ninth Legion." And I gotta believe at that point, like you should be like, "All right, we are, we are, we are in a conceit now." But uh, right. you know, uh, like, things- how are you supposed to read this article? I'm like. It's not 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 here. Not our inner in your inner <laughs> yeah. Rob voice, and then work backwards from there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, this is this is why dedicated satire exists, so that people always know like this is a box where things are jokes. You forgot to put and slash outside S of that, things the, are not jokes. You have to put slash s after the whole article. You know that's how we know. Ah, <laughs> Schrodinger's sarcasm. <laughs> like if I. If I <laughs> Uh, but yeah, th- that was actually, you know, really the p- a lot of people correctly identified was that in particular was mostly about the PlayStation layoffs. Uh-huh. Uh, they've been telegraphing this for a while. You know, we, we had a whole conversation a week or two ago about their, uh, you know, group CFO who's coming in as uh, SIE CEO talking about how they're not budget conscious enough and they need to sort of review their operations. And then this week they laid off 900 people. Uh, and you know, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's their outgoing CEO's swan song really, as he signs his name to the, to the layoff orders. And there's some darkly funny aspects of this layoff as well. You know, grimly ironic, Patrick. Yeah. So yeah, 900 people, 8% of, of that division of, of the company, Sony Interactive Entertainment and the cuts cut across you know, it's sometimes you see this stuff, you know, when we talked about the riot uh, layouts, like, hey, like Riot Forge seems like that is an initiative really didn't didn't pan out. And while all layoffs are a bummer, some of them at least could line up with, ah, like that was an initiative that was given a couple of years, made some interesting things, but didn't quite take off in the way way they probably anticipated um, here. Uh, it's it's like Naughty Dog. It's 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 Insomniac. It is the studio is Gorilla. It is the studios that if you're like, what's the heart of Sony? If they're going to do anything interesting for the next 10 years, how do they maintain the PlayStation brand? You would immediately say Insomniac, Naughty Dog, Gorilla. I mean, Insomniac arguably has been the PlayStation 5 for the past four years between Miles Morales, Ratchet and Clank, Spider-Man 2. Uh, And yet 
despite all that, is getting hit with with cuts. Um, to the to the point that you were making, Rob, about some sort of you know gallows humor in in all of this as we like try and navigate what else is there to say about I don't know what else to call it other than a great realignment, which is maybe an idea we can get into as we work through some of some of the other layoffs. But you know, there's a picture of Jim Ryan, you know, the executive at PlayStation who's about to leave uh, soon, taking pictures with Sony London. Uh, really best known for what they did in the past, which was the SingStar games. If you are unaware, SingStar was a modest hit in America. Uh, it was a neat karaoke game that had a bunch of add-ons. It was a legitimate phenomenon in Europe. Like, tries, a yeah. core reason that PlayStation was a dominant platform during the difficult uh, years of the PlayStation 3 before they sort of worked things out in the latter half of that platform's uh, era. Sings, it is it is hard to state how popular SingStar was because it didn't hit over here in in the same way. Um, but Jim Ryan uh, went there uh, as part of this kind of tour he's been doing, saying goodbye to a lot of the studios he's been a part of, interacted with, uh, overseeing PlayStation, and took this very joyous picture with folks uh, at um, uh, at the London studio. Uh, who's primarily done VR stuff the last couple of years. Uh, and when that picture was da- taken, which as of this recording was probably a weekish ago, but, you know, there's no way he didn't know. He was visiting a studio in which soon there'd be a memo signed saying that every single one of these people were going to lose their jobs. And the idea that he would still go and do that is, I don't even know what you, I don't know what you do to, to that other than other than laugh, because it's just... It's so, it's so audacious. Like when I saw that going around, I originally showed it to Rob ahead of us recording something. It's like, no, like, come on. I was like, no, like, yeah. And I just, I just don't know what you do with information like that other than throw your hands up and, and, and try not to scream. Yeah. I mean, you hope that, you know, a, a farewell tour like that, you're, you're tipping off some people who need to be tipped off that like, Hey, this is coming down the, this is coming down the road. There's nothing we can do about it. But the problem is if you're Jim Ryan, there's something you could do about it. You could, you know, not do it. That's the, you know, that's I mean, to a degree. Like uh, he's sort of in a lame duck period. Like the company's made a, made a decision to go in this direction. The, 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 the signs were all there and probably he actually can't uh, stop it because this is where the next, the next leadership, uh, you know, cat is going to, going to is, take is his name but, on the memo because yeah. it's convenient to have him be the scapegoat for this because he's leaving he's got his golden parachute I, you know i'm not trying to absolve jim yeah. ryan of uh, in the but like i have no reporting any insight but it, the moment i saw his name attached to all that news i was like oh wow that's awfully convenient get mad at the guy who's leaving so that the new staff can come in and not necessarily be the good guys but you know like this will happen sometimes where um like this even it was like kind of communicated to us at vice uh when like hey to get acquired you got to sh- you got to shed the weight now. Do the bad news right now so that the people who come in and buy it don't also have to do the the bad news. And that is is sort of a way you kind of bridge these different eras. Um Vice just did it multiple times yeah. regardless. It didn't matter, but Well, they um, had the bridge never had an uh, second half. There's no there's no land uh, on, the, on the other side of the bridge, but yeah, it's just it's just a, it's just a grim picture. Uh, because I have no doubt, like he he did enjoy his farewell tour, and like, man, so good to visit all these studios. And he seemed well liked, creative, awesome people. 
as far as, Shame as, far as executives go. Yeah. yeah. And, but I think like, at least there, as you point out, like you could argue, okay, that's a studio that, uh, you know, hasn't had its major, its major hit is behind it. And is sort of wedded to a struggling part of PlayStation's business right now. Support studio, right? Like yeah. they're, they were doing VR games. I don't, I don't know that Sony is going to produce many VR games going forward. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for the company, um, given the decisions that are being made here. Uh, last we knew about London Studio is they were working on an unannounced live service game as part of PlayStation. One of Jim Ryan's big initiatives, which is pivoting a lot of studios to doing uh, live service stuff. But OK, you know, that one can- might not have been a winner, Jim. <laughs> no, no, that might like having Helldivers 2's like surprise success is in one like some people are taking it to be vindication for Sony going that direction. I also think that it's that it's easy to forget how fickle the hit business is in live service. Go look at, you know, Suicide Squad. Granted, one's a good game and one is a middling game, but you can make good live service games and not have them be hits at the scale of a Helldivers 2. That is that you don't want to use that as evidence of a pivot. Um um because Helldivers 2, I think, is going to prove a prove an anomaly in that regard. But but to your point about like a studio like Insomniac, where and and this is like where I where I do find like these sorts of layoffs do become like a little more offensive than others, where it's like the strategy that was drawn up at the highest level of company was make games that look like this, make games that are produced to the standard, like do it, like whatever costs will you know we will go for it. And that has been successful, uh, you know, so like it's a massively popular platform. These are massively popular games. And when you when you have things turn turn out like this, where it's like, uh, yes, you did exactly what we asked. Um, you know, and now we're not happy with the, with the results. Yes, it sold well. <laughs> yes, we had the right. blockbuster hit. Uh, but. You know, unfortunately. We just didn't like how much it cost at the end of the day <laughs> and we're really uncomfortable about like, you know, the the direction things are trending. And yeah, we set that direction. But anyway, here's anyway, here's Wonderwall. Like it's it's, it's very just like it's incre- it's incredibly shitty because like, you know, I think everyone on some level understands that like the game is the game. You know, you ship a you ship a game doesn't sell the fails. People are going to lose their jobs. It's awful, but like that's just how it is. When it's like, man, we shipped a hit. It's great. It's you know, it's awesome. People love it. And then a few months later, all right, well, it's moving day, folks. Um, that's a that's incredibly demoralizing um, and and scary, right? Because if it's happening to these these studios, then like, who the hell is safe? Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's the, the who the hell is safe is kind of the sentiment I'm getting, you know, watching social media developers react. And it's the cascading effect, right? It's uh, we're now I don't pull up the chart where I'm sure Kotaku has has got it. Where's that website that tracks how many layoffs we've had this year? I think we've hit 10,000, which means we've outstripped um, yeah. the total from uh, from 2023 and the opening months of 2024. I mean, we're recording this. Thank you, February. One extra day for layoffs to occur and accumulate in February because we're <laughs> we're in February 29th. <laughs> um, uh, but it's like you combine this with the fact that Supermassive 
you know, has had layoffs. The developers of Until Dawn, the Dark Pictures Anthology, um, they laid off, uh, what do we got here? The They have uh, 150 employees were notified they're uh, at risk. 90 uh, were uh, are going to be let go. Um, and Supermassive in general is thought to understood to have something like 350 uh, employees. Uh, Deck 9, the studio behind the really, really good Life is Strange True Colors. Like, if you like Life is Strange and didn't play True Colors, you fucked up. It's great. Like, go play that game. Um, they, uh, they're laying off uh, 20% of their staff. I don't know how, how big it is. There were some reports from Deck 9 staff that their leadership were t- like taking pay cuts as well to go alongside this. This might be as, as simple as the studio did nothing wrong except to be in a bad economic situation and a game didn't get greenlit. I, it's, you know, we're getting reports all the time of uh, a squeeze on certain types of games that are getting, getting approved. Um, uh, and then EA also then lays off an enormous amount of people, 5%. Uh, like we were, we were, we were literally streaming Dark Forces Remastered, a game that's an example of Star Wars being a genre industry defining video game, and in which we're kind of whipping ourselves into a frenzy over the possibilities of what Respawn could do with Star Wars in first person. And the first news we're greeted with after finishing that stream is that like EA is canceling the Star Wars uh, shooter from Respawn. And not only that, giving out comments that, hey, this licensed IP business is a little tough to make money from. Do you want to know what the biggest games coming from EA in the next couple of years are? <laughs> Black Panther, Iron Man, another Star Wars game. The idea that, this is, and this goes to your point, Rob, how in God's name can you sit there with a straight face and lay off of your employees, if you're Andrew Wilson over at EA, and say, not sure this license stuff makes a ton of sense. When you spent the last five years pivoting explicitly to turning studios like Respawn or Insomniac into license factories. And it's just... Yeah, hold on. It's just... The EA thing is they're like... EA can't get fucking games out the door is a big part of their problem too. Like they can't... Outside of EA Sports, like I think we can say, particularly with their history with the Star Wars license, they have not been able to get their shit together with this. If Ultimate Team and Madden didn't exist, would EA have gone under at this point? <laughs> yeah. So th- this whole like we're we're pivoting yeah. to we're pivoting to licensed games. Uh, yeah, like you pivoted to this exclusive. They had exclusive rights to the Star Wars license. Fucked it up. Fucked it up. <laughs> and the result of that was Disney being like, we got to not do exclusive license <laughs> deals like that. that uh, 40 Warhammer seems like they really got it figured out. You just start like just throwing those right. But yeah, EA botched it because they were like, let's just let's just like, I don't know, dice, make some Star Wars, make a Star Wars live multiplayer game and we'll we'll call it a day. Uh, and so like, yeah, it was briefly exciting that like, hey, like Respawn's gonna be making a Star Wars game, but I'm not actually that surprised that like when confronted with, oh, we gotta make a new game and like sell it. And we're not gonna be able to like release little fake cards with Star Wars characters on them and sell them so people would build their ultimate Star Wars squad. Uh, I'm not totally surprised it ends in like cancellations uh, from, from, from EA, but I think that does point to a, a thing that I feel like is going on with a lot of these layoffs, which is 
kind of feels like this is an industry that isn't very good at actually producing games uh, or especially new games. And the minute there's any sort of economic headwinds or uncertainty, everyone just like grabs that handbrake and just like match and just like yanks it back. And uh, suddenly you're looking at all these all these major publishers. Who, you know, you would think naively that if you're a publisher, publishing would be a pretty important part of that business. (laughs) And they're all kind of looking around being like, Ooh, we can't do that. We can't. Sorry, we can't. We can't. We can't be in this business. And by the way, all these people who make this stuff, you got to go. Uh, it's it's a it's a very it's a very bizarre, upsetting moment. Yeah, I feel like it's a look of at everyone's strategy, and then everyone kind of simultaneously being like, actually, this isn't working. Even when optics wise, it seems like it is. So it's like if the stuff that isn't working isn't working, and the stuff that is working isn't working what happens now? And it's like, I don't know, but like, see you tomorrow. And it's this really strange moment to be in. I think too, as far as like just the amount. Um, and I feel like almost every week is one of these weeks, but it's one of those weeks where you'll tell someone like, did you hear about the layoffs? And they're like another one, like a different one than the one I heard of. And the answer is yes. Cause a lot of times I think when you are so like inundated in that kind of news cycle, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, you know, the EA thing or the PlayStation thing or the whatever. But it's like, oh, no, there's like another thing. And then while I'm telling you this thing, something else is also coming down the pipeline at the same time. Yeah. And like. I I don't see how well. I understand why everyone's like, I got to reduce my my workforce. It's the, it's the easiest thing you can do to, to change your expenses is reduce the number of people who work there. But. You know, we have I've never worked in game dev, but Patrick, like you and I and and Janet, I'm sure you too. Like we've all seen how disruptive shifts like this unfold, like are at a workplace where it is not just the moment where it's like, oh, shit, like we have fewer people now working on this than we're here before. There is also, at least in my experience, I don't know if there's like parallels to this in, in game dev, but maybe a canceled project has elements of this as well. Multiple times at Vice, like most of my time at Vice, I would say we were either pausing all our current projects and like pull, like no more freelance spend, no more, you know, working with anyone external. Or we were spinning it back up after months of like, you can't do that. And so now you're sort of re- like rebuilding the like, OK, so all the things we were doing before that we stopped doing, we can start doing them again. But now the people we worked with are gone. They have moved on. They, we, they, we are no longer top of mind for clients. And I, I suspect that the, the, that is a, that was a major t- disruption for us. And that's something really simple, which is like ultimately. Publishing articles is like, hey, you got an article, let me publish it. That's not like a video game where there's all these moving parts. And I, and I got to believe that just th- just this way of doing business, which is incredibly standard in this industry, I got to believe that it is massively destructive to like budgets and ability to project manage when you are sort of making studios operate like they're the sort of the tail of the whip. Yeah, I mean that that's the you know and and there's even um uh there has been research done that while 
layoffs are like like shareholders like them. Like it often amounts into an immediate spike in, uh, you know, like a, a share price. The amount you have to pay out in expenses, like continue paying like office leases, it doesn't necessarily like immediately result in any sort of great financial headwinds. But it is the shortest term, quote, fix you can do absent turning an enormous ship like making new video games um, and at least shows people I'm doing something. Um, but I think the, the 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 rate at which all of this is happening the there was someone that uh, mentioned it. Um, I can't remember where. I think it might have been. I've read so many things across LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, but uh, so I can't attribute it. And I'll, if I can remember, I will. But was it now that games haven't gone through? Whether you want to call this a crash, a realignment, a transition, whatever. But part of what's happening here is a consequence of games reaching the scale and mainstream success that they've had, which is not that games haven't gone through shifts and realignments and crashes before but because so many people are now involved in the production of them the damage that it like the wreck the size of the wrecking ball is so much bigger as a consequence of the height the gaming has reached in terms of its its cultural ascendancy that when you go through moments like this to some degree uh uh you know uh cynical to some degree perhaps necessary for a different version of this industry it's the damage is going to be the people hurt along the way are going to is going to be such such a larger pool because of the sheer size of games at this point, um, which isn't to forgive any of the decisions being made, especially if they're done so cynically, but or exploitatively. But nonetheless, it's a consequence of games being this big, like more people are going to get hurt, more people are going to be squeezed out, more people are going to lose their jobs. Um, and that part that part hurts. I. <clears throat> It feels uh, to that to the point you said about like whether or not it's cynical or not. It feels like what's coming to roost here is just the like whole, oh, everyone's stuck inside. Let's fucking pump things into video games because no one can fucking leave their houses, right? Like it feels like that's coming to bear now. It's just like, oh, and now the pandemic is quote unquote over. It's yeah. not. But enough people are like just going back out into the world that the they're like ahead of there being a, a decline they're just like yeah we're gonna get out like we see we see that thing like public public opinion has turned on like being outside again <laughs> basically uh and we're i think that's part of, i think it accelerated something was going to happen anyway though right, right i think the sure. moment we find ourselves in i think ultimately remove covid Right. Like mm -hmm. say it doesn't say it doesn't happen. Lots of people. It never did. But it's like, let's say it literally didn't happen. We pluck it from the timeline. Um, <laughs> do games end up in a similar place to here eventually anyway? I think yes. Yeah. And I think what co I think what happened during covid where it spiked high, it spiked hiring, it right. spiked investment. Yeah, it was it was fake. It was like this was not real. This was a mirage for a couple of years mm -hmm. at a historical anomaly moment in time. But I think it ultimately unmasked an untenable way of making video games. Yeah. And so the people caught in that like grand mistake are not, are not at fault for wanting to get into games and being swept up in it and perhaps hired or are only making games as a result of this like continued infinite growth, just make the teams bigger, the games more spectacular and larger and more expensive but it's 
what COVID ended up doing and that, that pump of, of fake investment ended up doing was yeah. exposing a lie that was going to be exposed in the rot of how video games are made at a certain scale eventually. I think this is separate and different from the squeeze that is happening on the smaller scale yeah. with independent games. So like you have, uh, oh, Kato, someone help me. Daigut Fabrique, I believe that is the name of, yeah. of the studio. Um, the Sports Friends and most recently, <coughs> what was the game? We streamed it, Kato. I can't remember. Uh, Salt Sea oh. Chronicles? Was that the Salt Sea Chronicles, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, they're as tiny, as out there, as independent as you get. And they make quirky games that uh, are going to be more critically acclaimed than they are commercially successful. But there has been a path for like, hey, like those types of games will find funding um, one way or another. And that is drying up. The, the And I think that is separate from the, like, what I do think is a crash that is happening here. It's not a crash and the video games are disappearing, but it's a crash of a model of making games that I think was going to happen no matter what. And we've just arrived there at an accelerated accelerated pace. Well, I I definitely think, so I think something Kato's onto is, uh, I think you're basically right. Like, I think uh, the end of the COVID era of like damn like video games just print money Mm -hmm. that happened like a year or two ago where suddenly like a lot of like financial returns like did take a dip and it didn't necessarily translate into like these this scale of layoffs but there was a lot of like well we've got a lot of let's see how the next like wave of major like tentpole releases is gonna go right like that's gonna be like yeah the the we get the covid bounce is sort of trailing off but like Obviously, the big flagships now are about to go. So let's see how that how that all unfolds. And it it did in 2023. And it wasn't quite the panacea that that you you expected. And so now it's like we're going to have to to change this. Um, And in a weird way, this is a sort of a crash that's been predicted for for decades. Right. Like uh, that every time the. Every time resolution, for instance, has increased, uh, every, every time processing <laughs> power has increased, the expense has gone up because making use of those resources is really, really expensive. It becomes prohibitively, prohibitively so. Uh, and like we sort of hit with this generation a, a, a place where uh, now hitting like the highest, highest end quality bars for for triple A games uh, just become like it is like the GDPs of of small nations. Uh, you know, trying to trying to make these things, and then when they don't, when they succeed, but it's it, it's nowhere near the margins it, it used to be that you come to expect. That's that's very alarming. Uh, when when you see that, um, and it does feel like there's a bit of, in a weird way, maybe this is a maybe this is a bad parallel, but this seems to have been a bit of discourse with um, in the wake of Top Gun Maverick. Everyone's like Tom Cruise, woo! You know how to you know how to get butts in seats, man. Like you make the <laughs> biggest movies. You're you're gonna save cinema. It's a good movie, though. Oh, it's real, real good, real good. <laughs> yeah. Then then the new Mission Impossible comes out, and this has huge like people are like, man, like he's gonna do it here. Here we go. Like last Mission Impossible possibles have been so good, so so popular. He's coming off Maverick. Like this new one's gonna be bigger than ever. You know, he jumps a motorcycle off a cliff. We're going to show you that stunt like 80 times in, in pre-release <laughs> content. And the movie did okay, but not 
as well as people expected. And there's sort of this moment of like, are people finally fatigued of this franchise of Tom Cruise or was it just too goddamn expensive making this movie? Like they, they overinvested in it. And I think there's, I think the parallel I find there is that I think a lot of these, a, a lot of, you know, your, your biggest AAA games also went in this mode of, well, we keep winning by just pouring more money into these franchises and making like experiences that people can get from nowhere else. Uh, and we will just, whatever it costs to make these, we will pay. But it does turn out you sort of hit an upper bound of like people's appetite for it. There's only so many people you can sell these games to, uh, you know, in in the launch window. In the meantime, you, you sort of handed the blank checkbook over to uh, the project and, you know, costs cost spiral. And I, I think it feels a bit like the the AAA publishing side of the industry, the platform holding side of the industry has ended up in this place where um, what has been the most re- successful formula for them is to make these experiences nobody else can give you massively expensive to produce. Uh, huge marketing spend behind them, but they can command a ton of attention and they kind of succeed by default because they just sort of drown out everything else. And a lot of times they are attached to franchises that people are automatically interested in. And once you've kind of saturated that and the costs keep going up, you got a big problem uh, for, you know, what do you do now? Because you've, in the meantime, all these companies, for the most part, they've let wither the capacity to have smaller scale successes. They don't know how to make them. They have no interest in making them. They don't think they're, they, they don't think it's a good play uh, in part because of like business realities they've helped construct. Uh, and so I think you, you end up in this really unhealthy place where it's like, we've got this massive, massively expensive monoculture that we produce and it's no longer bringing the returns that we liked. And we don't really have another strategy. Uh, Rob, you have a, a little more uh, sense of, of of history than than I do. I wanted to read this interesting thread from uh, Giovanni uh, Colantonio, who uh, runs the gaming section over digital digital trends. Here, I can share it here if people want to see the whole thing. But this is I'll read a couple that I, I thought maybe you might have some thoughts on. Part of what's happening in the games industry right now feels analogous to the decline of Hollywood's golden age in the nineteen f- fifties. Giant blockbusters became too expensive to make and were falling out of fashion with young audiences, dwindling returns for big studios. Part of old Hollywood's collapse also had to do with the rise of TV, which made media more accessible. Can likely draw a parallel between that and the rise of things like free-to-play and mobile games, much easier and cheaper ways to make games that don't involve spending $70. That analogy holds up, the silver lining would be that gaming's new Hollywood moment is right around the corner. This was when a desperate Hollywood broke away from its unsustainable epic strategy and started taking gambles on young directors and left-field projects. Helldivers 2 already sort of signals that approaching moment. A very successful game from a smaller studio that's resonating with a wide, modern player base. Wouldn't be surprised to see if Sony moves resources into banking projects from studios like Arrowhead. Also, Pal World. Xbox is already using that game in its marketing, despite having no real hand in it, aside from launching it in Game Pass. I very much think you'll see companies like Xbox and Sony fishing for more hits like that, instead of putting all their stock in mega games. Um, do you see any parallel in like cinema's history to a sort of reinvention to produce essentially what you're saying, which is, I don't know the, the, the a double a PS two, you know, like kinds of games that we all fell in love with and enjoyed for years. <laughs> is that like the equivalent of like young directors and left field projects uh, 
that like game, if you want to look at it in a potentially optimistic version of where gaming come out, comes out the other side healthier uh, as a result. Do you see, do you see anything there? Hmm. Uh, God, there's uh, like, there's, I'm already stuck on other parts of the analogy. Like the, the big, <laughs> like Hollywood didn't make big epics as a matter of routine. They, they did in the fifties, but a lot of them were huge hits. Like, this is the funny thing. It's like, yeah, we all remember like Cleopatra's this huge fucking bomb, but like a lot of the other ones weren't, a lot of them were like massively successful. Uh, and so like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily fully fully map to that i think one of the things that happens with uh hollywood in that period is that yes they are they are paranoid about tv and they are starting to like try to produce experiences that tv uh can't give you the video game industry doesn't really have a tv equivalent i think of like its threat there's a, there's a bit of Sometimes they talk about Fortnite as if that's TV. Like that's the big competitor for people's time is like, well, they could play all the other video games in the world or they go play Fortnite. Or these um, platform games, right? Where you're not just playing Fortnite, you're playing games within Fortnite, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Lego Fortnite or uh, Roblox like, I mean, again, like my my daughter, uh, my oldest plays some other video games often with me, but she mostly plays a million different experiences in Roblox. And I, I think that is a, that's a credible th- threat for places like that. They were like these institutional platforms suck up all of your time, energy, money away from. It's like, well, yeah, that platformer's better, but I'm already here in Fortnite. I would also say this. In the 1950s, that's also where you start seeing Hollywood release a lot of like great B movies and like noirs that are like classics. And I think one of the important things that you should bear in mind there is the studios in Hollywood, even as the studio system was dying, had the capacity and they always retained this capacity to make smaller movies. When we talk about B movies. This is what we are talking about. It is the, it's a B picture. It's not going to get the, the, the A stars the studio has. or might get one of them. It's not going to get the A budgets and get the B budgets. This is why so many noirs look kind of cheap. It's like all dramatically lit <laughs> shitty sets. Uh, but they had the capacity to like, Yes, we are. We put a lot of eggs in the basket of like big epics, tons of bankable stars. We also can distribute lots of eggs to these smaller movies that we have retained the capacity to put out. And in part, those Hollywood studios knew that it was valuable to have places where you could identify future stars, where you could where where you could identify like future directors that you would trust with the A projects. Like there was in a weird way, the studio system had a lot of things that were shitty about it, but there were a lot of like healthy things about developing cultivating talent that would sort of roll in to continue to let you operate at a high level uh and i feel like the game publishers the reason they don't map to the old hollywood system is like i think if you talk to any studio head in old hollywood and you describe them a business model where it's like well how many like a products do you release a year oh we release one Every every two years, basically, <laughs> like that's that's it. Okay, well, how much does it cost? A uh, billion dollars. <laughs> uh, it's like I think that would have struck them as just a, a bonker strategy. Like, where's where are your matinee shows? Where are your creature feet? Like, where's all the stuff that people enjoy? Why aren't you selling any of that? And all the video game publishers have made the conclusion that like, yeah, there's all the stuff that people enjoy. Not enough of them, though. So we're gonna we're gonna sort of abandon that field. Um, 
I was thinking about this where it's like, it kind of feels like the industry's gotten, it's gotten so like concentrated and so bad that like, does it really even produce RPGs? Like traditional RPGs, not games with progression, but like outside of like games like Final Fantasy, uh, does this industry produce like triple A RPGs at this point, any sort of reliable rate? Atlas. Yeah, yeah, like Japan, right? Like yeah. the Tail series, uh, Persona. Like it's a, it's a, it's a dwindling pool. I mean, I, I, I looked at the news from EA and went, well, they're gonna full Bioware, right? At, like we're never getting that Mass Effect game. Get, prepare yourself right now. You are not getting that Mass Effect game. Dragon Age is going to underperform. Maybe that's gonna get get out the door because of Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate three. But boy, that feels like doing big, expensive. Six, seven year, yeah, multi like massive investment RPGs. Does that sound like something EA wants to do anymore? And I, I, I looked at that and I don't know. I'm not saying the next Mass Effect was going to be any good, but I still like that world and was interested to see what they might. I, uh, I don't think we're ever going to get that game, right? Well, and like, but no, but bro- broadly, no. I think, I think the, I mean, some of that is the rpgification right of so much in in game design that like the what we'd consider sort of a more traditional slower paced rpg um is i don't think it's culturally out of step but like you look at a game like final fantasy 7 rebirth and that's that's an attempt to weave together you know modern action sensibilities with a lot of the quirkiness that we associate with older style rpgs i mean uh you know baldur's gate was a huge hit to speak yeah. to, I mean, doesn't come from that system huh doesn't come what? through that system oh yeah right like i mean this is right. the thing right like Baldur's gate is the like yes like a studio through making a series of successful games like getting enough you know budget together to to make a triple like great game is able to make one of those but like ea didn't produce it right so right. you know what i mean like the 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 central publishers in the industry Increasingly, Bethesda, don't. right? Like, I guess, I guess Bethesda is like kind of one of the few, you know. I mean, Starfield's still RPG-ish, right? Like, okay, it's an RPG. Starfield. Yeah. What else? Yeah, what else? What? What did I play? If I didn't play an RPG, <laughs> uh, a quality You're not to sit shooter. Here and tell me that I did not. No, that is not. That's definitely not what I played. I definitely played an RPG. And a cool space combat sim. Look, I looked into that. I said I was going to be Janthony Bourdain. I specked into food, and it didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything. I wasn't alone. Jan Wait, from sorry. Giant Bomb did the same thing Wait. and named the character wow. the exact same name. Wow. <laughs> yeah, both me and Jan were Janthony Bourdain up in Starfield space. But Amazing. to your point, anyway, um, to your point, I, I feel like that speaks to there always being, I think, different kinds of games and think like when you talk about, I guess, like maybe the issue if we're like looking back into this, you know, old Hollywood comparison is when it comes to, I think what gaming has to offer, nobody's doing like the, all of it. And I feel like big AAA publishing, you know, we think of like EA PlayStation, Xbox, they have like a really specific lane, even though they do have different flavors. Like we talk about all the time, the different strategies, the different sensibilities, which interestingly enough, I think a lot of times we have those conversations in terms of, you know, what things are working and where are they like pushing into to try to like gain additional success. But in the midst of that, 
with all of these like layoffs and cuts and realizing how unsustainable everything is and everyone dialing back, it's it's again the also the thing that's working kind of isn't working the way we need it to be working. So then there's, you know, pivots even within that, which is, I think, one of the most disheartening aspects of, you know, what's happening in the industry. But there is that chase to have everything be the big thing, but also the big thing on like a specific timeline. And there are like, um, you know, edge cases for that. I do think looking over at like what Rockstar has going on, like people are always talking about how, you know, we even on the show, we talked about like that almost being akin to generational timelines, yes. like the length of time that they invest in, you know, in like the different styles. So there are like edge cases like that, I think, even within mainstream publishing. But part of when we think of the spread of gaming, so many of those different pivots don't come from those big publishers because they have sort of the one way of doing things and kind of to like feed into the conversation we just had. Right. It's they sort of made the you know, they live in their own trapping because they built it this way. So there's no other way to go. And I think even in terms of and it's this tough thing where you're also again competing against so many other like publishers within the space where it's, well, people don't want these shorter experiences because we put them out and there is that, you know, what's the number one question that gets asked? How like long is this game? How big is your game compared to your last game? And the reason that gets asked is because audiences want to know. Like that is one of the driving questions. So it's how do you keep making it like bigger and better and more grandiose, but also like within a timeline that can be produced. And also game costs do go up in terms of what, you know, people are paying at retail, but they're not going up nearly along in scale, in step with what they cost to produce, let alone if you pour all that money into it and it totally flops, you know? So there's like more pressure, there's more pressure than ever, I think, to have that success. And even success isn't enough if the margins aren't adding up the way they should be. And apparently they're not. So it's like, okay, well, maybe we can do what we just did, but leaner? But also what's the sustainability in that when so many places are talking about, you know, what they need from a workplace and what they're trying to get from a studio. Like in how are you going to have, you know, sustainability, long cycles, making enough money, but also a leaner team, but also these other eight things. Like it's kind of an impossible ask that I think is being positioned onto these teams at this point. Well, and I think like to a degree when you talk about, and Patrick, when you talk about the, the great realignment, you know, what you're describing there, Janet is like, it is tough. They are all, they're all, they are all trapped in, in a, a machine of their own design uh, because they, they can't quite break out of the sort of path dependency that, that their strategy has, has placed them into. Uh, but if it's, if it is unsustainable, if it's not, if it's not working, there's a lot of indications that it isn't that the, you know, the, they can't just keep having budget number go up uh, and have that translate into returns, uh, you know, on, on the on the investment on on the on releasing a game, you're gonna have to start making different kinds of games. You're going about that in a different way, and I don't. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna get there by like anytime somebody's like, "Well, we can be more efficient." You can be more efficient to the tune of like, I can be more efficient in that like, we don't need to order DoorDash quite so much. <laughs> And there will be meaningful savings from that, but not like 
transformative savings for that. Like my household budget is not going to be like, and by just cutting out one Hold DoorDash on, I don't need order to hear a this week. Part. I'm going to just mm-hmm. <laughs> But no, but this thing. the right, way like, I've had to do. Yes. As someone that sits and does that, it's not moving the needle the way I'd like it no, to. No, no. You're like, and that's going to, tra- and that is going to translate to an extra $50 a month. We can put toward a credit card payment or something. It's st- stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, efficiencies aren't going to do it uh, in that way. You're, you're going to have to be thinking about finding a different approach to to how you make games and, and what those games look like. But I, I do wonder, to an extent, is one thing everyone's trapped, against, trapped with is uh, it might be eminently sensible to be like, man, we need to throttle back, uh, sort of go back to a more... Helldivers is a good example. I'd be really interested to know what the case study is there. Because to me, from the outside, Arrowhead and Helldivers looks like a classic example of you let a studio do their thing. You know, they make games that are on a reasonable budget, reasonable scale. And you don't have particularly high expectations of a return, but like, you know, it's... Worth having, you know, it's worth funding enough to keep them busy and making this game, and hopefully it'll be nicely profitable. And who knows how it'll go? Um, that seems that seems reasonable. And then if you have a bunch of those, like one of them might turn a hit. I think the minute you like, if any executive is looking at Hell Divers and being like, "We need to make more Hell Divers," that person's a dumbass <laughs> because, like, <laughs> that that is the classic. I would simply make cheap cheap games. Someone's frantically produce- scratching off make more Helldivers, <laughs> yeah. as we yes. see. I would, yes, I would simply win the lottery uh, every every year. So I think what you have to look at in a thing like that is like the paradigm it represents is that if outcomes in the industry are a big roulette table, you're putting you're making a lot of little bets and some of them are going to miss. But you're hoping on balance, more of them are going to hit. And, you know, that's just that's the cost of doing business. But they all got into a place where they found that if they just kept, you know, placing all their chips on on one number and then like put all their effort behind that, you could produce reliably better results. And if all all publishers said we're going to move to a more sustainable paradigm, we're going to scale back, you still have franchises like Grand Theft Auto and Assassin's Creed that like, okay, you can stop making Spider-Man games that cost this much. Rockstar is still going to be there being like, all right, folks, GTA, GTA six, let's go. And everyone's going to be like, woo, finally some, some real games. But when, but when I, that seems better though, right? Like take two can take the risk. Like, like they, like they have GTA Online to subsidize a decade of of development. Like, I think I'd rather live in a world where, I don't know, like even like in Hollywood, it seems like we're trending away. Even like the comics and blockbusters, like a, there's Avatar, right? That comes out every you know four years or six years or whatever, and makes a bajillion dollars. But everything else is scaling back. I wouldn't mind if games trended in a similar direction, where things were just broadly cheaper. Uh, like a little more sustainably made. And then you have the occasional just splurge. It's just, we can spend whatever we want because we can get away with it. But I think what we've increasingly seen is too many, too many places have had too many spinning plates and the plates have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And there just aren't that many. 
that there aren't that many um, that can actually can actually sustain that. Um, and who knows if GTA can, right? Like, I'm sure it's going to be an enormous. Maybe they're poised know, for a Mission Impossible moment where it's like big numbers. Expect it bigger. Probably not. I don't think so. I don't think I don't think that I don't no. think that's the one. I'm not predicting GTA no. to, to disappoint. I'm expecting that to be one of the biggest moments in video games of all time. But uh, I think that but every game is trying to be that right. Spider-Man 2 you know, like that's the classic example recently. Like if it, it, you know, can sell tens of millions of copies and you're still laying off folks and saying, get more efficient. That's just a broken model. Like that's, you just can't like, you just can't keep going down that path. Um, and I believe Sony even put out a, in one of their blogs explaining what was going on. They, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but essentially said like, we need to rethink how we do development. But what does that mean? How soon do we see that? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Does that just mean, Gorilla's no longer making a multiplayer Horizon game and just stays focused on Horizon 3. That's not a fundamental shift. That's just, you know, maybe that was a bad idea. A return in the first to place. form. Yeah. 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 I mean, they'd never be like, one of our ideas was a bad idea in the first place. <laughs> so it's, tough. <laughs> it's tough because it's like, I don't know, you're never going to tell me anything either way. Like looking at, you know, the article that you had pulled from Andy Robinson on Video Games Chronicle about like reevaluating how they operate. Nothing really gets said, which is a lot of the, right. you know, the, the closest we get is talking about launching on different devices like PC and mobile and how that requires a different approach and different resources is like what the direct quote is. But oh, oh you mean the thing we spent that... weeks watching people panic over with Xbox? Like, yes, Sony being like, which ah, is another, I think I think we should be everywhere. Maybe not on Xbox, but everywhere. Yeah, which is another <laughs> like this. This, indus- <laughs> this industry is so unserious. I can't. Uh, but yeah, so which is another funny thing of like yeah everyone's kind of been talking about this this isn't that interesting but anyway but that there isn't much gleamed in like well what does this really mean so it's like oh and then there's that mention of growth itself is not an ambition all right like you know yeah i mean yeah it is you can just i guess say anything you know it's like i mean that's what i said um yeah so it's like there's not we're not really getting anything from here it's a lot of the craft you know you know how it is when you're looking at projects and you're like, maybe not, but then it's not like it wasn't good though. It, so it's just a lot of like, th- there's not really much to gleam here. I think, cause I think at the end of the day, they're like, we need numbers to go up and this is how we can make them go up. Even well, if that is true for them. Like, I'm not saying that's not a true pressure that they actually like had to fulfill in some way. I'm not within well, that. I, think- I don't have the purview to say whether or not it was, but. I think one of the real frustrations a lot of us have is that, you know, when we talk about like number go up, I think the issue is that now leadership is clear that they do view things through number go up and number going up is really a byproduct. Like unless you work in actual finance where like the whole thing is just, you know, creating value out of the assets you exist, you, you hold and continue to increase the value of your holdings. You know, that's a place where your goal is to make that number go up. If you're in manufacturing, if you're in release in publishing, anything like that, like the thing you can kind of control is like, what are we producing and selling? And, you know, if you're ideally your your strategy, the metrics you're targeting will as a byproduct also, you know, result in in more more money. Uh, but it so often now it just feels like the leadership has steered a lot of these publishers into these cul-de-sacs where it's like, this is the the model of growth we pursued. We don't know how to reverse out of this. 
Um, we, we don't know how to, we don't know how to distribute risk. We don't know how to control costs. Um, one last thing, Patrick, I just wanted to, just because, you know, I might be in the, I know it's a bad time probably given the, given this news to be thinking I should get in this uh, PSVR too. Uh huh. Mm. But I've yeah. been thinking lately, uh huh. maybe I should get a PSVR too. Well, Is there a no, thought ha- behind this thought? I have one. <laughs> I have one also. You can have you can have this one. It's full of dust. You can have you, I don't, you can I don't have. want your nasty ass PSVR too. It's full of dust. It snowed. It snowed in your office, Patrick. That thing was full of snow Look, literally just, yesterday. Yeah. Oh, it's I'm fine. sure it's fine. It's a sturdy beast. Is it is it that you are hearing the call to the mountain? No. No, that, he wants to play Gran Turismo. No, he's out. He's out here spending money in the in the microtransaction zone, and he wants he wants those dollar bills right up busted oh, against I his eyeballs. I wouldn't call them microtransactions, Patrick. <laughs> uh, Twenty dollars in Gran Turismo buys you two million credits. They're rare legend cars. Uh, can be like eighteen million credits. Just, wow. just so you know. Okay. So. <laughs> it's pretty these are not and by the way i'm not doing that i'm 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 uh i believe you <laughs> but <laughs> why did rob set up an escort so he could spend money on gran turismo and not sweat it but i've been thinking like it'd be nice to like i've heard it's a really good vr game i've heard it it's, it's, it's a really awesome presentation of that game but one of the things that has sort of caused me to hesitate over that is like well all it would do is sit there next to my playstation and it's my little grand gran turismo headset um mm. but now it looks like sony might be realizing that having a expensive headset that only plays games that they apparently <laughs> refuse to make for for the headset uh could be a problem well yeah so the the, the playstation vr2 comes out and one of the big hang-ups uh is that it is it is stuck to the console. And one of the trends in VR headsets, uh, yeah, largely fueled by the uh, the MetaQuest uh, and then also uh, the Index, you know, the the, the partnership that Valve has with, uh, I believe, HCC to produce. Headsets is sort of uh, sometimes officially supported, often unofficially supported, but there are ways to just, hey, pick the headset you like and you can kind of jump between places to enjoy uh, the games because a lot of the underlying technology is roughly the same. Um, and obviously it gets a little trickier with consoles just due to the proprietary nature of those boxes. But people were pretty bummed that the PSVR 2, which is a good piece of kit, uh, it is a a well-made VR headset. It is one of the more comfortable VR headsets to wear for extended periods of time. The controllers are nice. Uh, the headset's uh, well-made. Uh, why can't I just plug that into my PC and be able to play all sorts of other games, uh, you know, uh, independent experiences. Uh, and Sony, d- you know, d- did not have official support for that uh, and essentially made it sound like they were not going to head in that direction. They didn't with the visual, the, the original PSVR, uh, but that thing was a hodgepodge of, you know, PlayStation Move technology and a bunch of other weird stuff. So it made a certain amount of sense there. Uh, and here, where we end up in a place where I don't know, maybe Sony is not going to release that many more PlayStation VR games going forward. I think largely my, my, 
my my thinking is PlayStation VR is now going to become a fancy add-on for the PlayStation 5 that maybe gets like support from a like a Gran Turismo where something it makes just all the sense in the world to do it, but they're not going to spend real money on exclusive games. And if you're not going to spend money on exclusive games, you've essentially saddled people with a headset that is just playing ports of games coming to other platforms. So now most games come to PC, MetaQuest, and PSVR 2. So, you're, you're, you know, when I get press releases about VR games, they're almost always mentioning PSVR 2 because it's not necessarily trivial, but it, it, it's it's easy enough to get it on that platform once you've done the work elsewhere. Um, and here, it's like, okay, well, at least if you buy a PSVR, you'll be able to connect it to a PC or use one of the wireless uh, methods. Like, it's actually surprisingly good if you are in a room with a PC to wirelessly beam like a Half-Life Alex or something to a headset um, and not have a direct connection with like a USB 3 cable. So uh, they haven't said when that's going to happen. Supposedly it's going to happen sometime later this year, but it will make that headset fundamentally more appealing because at least you'll get have reasons for use of it beyond just on your PlayStation. Um, and then it just becomes a question of how often, how much do you actually like spending in VR? Uh, which I don't, I don't know what your answer to that is, Rob, beyond race car goes fast. <laughs> I've heard uh, X-Wing, the, the Star Wars Squadrons game have pretty good VR. Yeah, 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 yeah. Could, could, yep. could go back. There's lots of spaceship games. Like I could. There's lots of spaceship games. I could, I could grab that <laughs> why, joystick. Why didn't Squadrons take off? What happened there? <laughs> uh, so like it was, it was really cool. I think like, I tend to trust Kat Bailey on this, uh-huh. uh, who her her Twitter during that game's heyday was kind of a chronicle of a long breakup with the game. Um, uh-huh. Part of its part of what made the game really successful and sticky was like their multiplayer structure. It was smuggling a class based space fighter game under the cover of like a Star X Wing or a Tie Fighter style game. Yeah, but the. The the way they went about that, according to Kat, I, I did get a bit of a flavor of this as well, uh, is that you start being able to do builds in that game that were just kind of broken, but also didn't feel good. Like you could mm. uh, you could turn the TIE bomber into effectively a stationary turret that was like unkillable. It was tanky <laughs> as hell. Um, absolutely lethal. And the person controlling that, they're not flying they're not dogfighting can't dogfight doesn't do anything it just sits there and like blasts away at things so like i think hmm. that game kind of uh wore out its welcome in part because they had tuned it so that the the multiplayer meta started moving more and more away from cool space dogfights mm-hmm. and more and more toward exploity builds that result in not super dynamic matches that's a uh, so I really is. enjoyed the the moments I had in that game early on, especially as you can flip flip those fucking a wings around real quick and shit. It is awesome. <laughs> I think I think like I started I think I started to lose touch with that game right around the time I, I I had like one of my first games where I was like, wait, I can just like load this bomber full of shit and I'm doing way better than I was in my like little tie interceptor. And <laughs> once I had that realization, I was like, I didn't know that I want to do this. Uh, but anyway, yeah. uh, we should take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, some of the games we've been playing. Back after this. Mm-hmm. 
One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code REMAP at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners, Rob here. You know... The time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores, making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it, Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now... If you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's right, that's code REMAP50 at factormeals.com slash REMAP50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash REMAP50 and use code REMAP50 to get 50% off. That's code REMAP50 at factormeals.com slash REMAP50 to get 50% off. And we're back uh, while we were breaking some news broke. Uh, Patrick, just real quick, uh, what, what's the latest from Embracer? Okay. I know, nobody lost their jobs. But uh, so obviously Embracer is going through this really intense cost-cutting initiative after just swallowing up studio after studio for several years during this period <laughs> of really liquid money that we were talking about. Um and so this is from, from Jason Schreier of Bloomberg. Saber Interactive, developer of the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake, will leave Embracer in a $500 million deal to become a privately owned company. The biggest move yet in Embracer's cost-cutting initiative. Uh, what this seems to suggest is that Saber, 
which owns a bunch of uh, other uh, studios uh, underneath it, uh, including Metro developer 4A Games, uh, Slipgate Ironworks, Beamdog, Zen Studios, uh, Tripwire, uh, a bunch of subsidiaries of, of Saber. They essentially bought their way they cut them a five hundred million dollar check to 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 just escape to not to not go through whatever consolidation that would make Saber quote make sense for uh for Embracer and it's wild because like Saber is like it's a it's a really well by all accounts like well run profitable like endeavor and Embracer decided it was better to just take a flat check I can't double check this someone in like a Message word thread said that they were sold for five hundred million dollars just four four years ago, five twenty five, which suggests that you know, as you and I were talking about Rob, that that's not a great ROI. <laughs> it's not how math works, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, just just while, and according to Jason Schreier, Volition tried to negotiate their their way to a exit in the same way, uh, but it quote fell through. Uh, there's some interviews going around both at aftermath and uh, uh games industry biz about uh, a studio that's been spun up uh, out of the ashes of volition so sounds like maybe whatever fell through to keep the name volition allowed them to just pivot to starting up something in the wake of it uh and then when someone else asked jason about gearbox uh they were told stay tuned <coughs> uh, and obviously gearbox associated with you know Francis is like Borderlands might be in a position possibly to also fund their own escape hatch, um, if not just be bought by somebody like Take Two, um, given that they already have a relationship with Take Two as a result of Borderlands. But like, what a wild fucking way for some parts of Embracer to end, which is just ah, I think you want to leave? Like, yeah, sure. These are the these are the initiatives that we wanted to see from uh, like executives. They're trying to reinvent their companies, and Embracer has found that <laughs> you can make good money making people pay you to let them not be part of Embracer. Uh, now they can expand this model to like how much will you pay us to not be acquired by Embracer? I think you got a real business. Oh my god! <laughs> you could. There's a real demand for not being bought by Embracer too, so <laughs> it's an untapped market in a sense. Um, yeah, good for them getting out. I didn't. Re- I guess I didn't realize that was an option, but this is also why I don't do business. I know I would either. Yeah, well, either. I feel like you you would have had to need probably some of the key stakeholders that company took their huge Embracer payday. And still have a good fraction of their payout uh, intact that they could pour into that. And then, you know, if you can find financing partners, you can you can do anything. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you, if you can go to a bank and be like, I mean, shit, Embracer's books might be in bad enough shape that Embracer helps do deals with this by, like, connecting you to financing because they can't, as you sort of alluded to, they can't they can't digest these things. They can't they can't afford to op- operate these studios. So the cleanest way to make an exit would be for somebody to loan the Saber people enough money to let them unacquire themselves. Uh, that is, that is ridiculous. I, I love it. Uh, hopefully. Oh, there's a, uh, one wrinkle here, uh, I guess from the Bloomberg report. Uh, well, cause I just mentioned a bunch of, Oh, there's a bunch of interesting studios underneath it. Um, so I don't know exactly how the structure of this works. Uh, the $500 million figure includes an option for Sabre to bring along 
multiple Embracer subsidiaries, the person said. So maybe not everything that's been associated with Saber? Uh, I don't or maybe know. some well, other well, shit that Embracer owns that you're like, you want this too? <laughs> <laughs> like, Embracer's, like Saber's trying to leave out the front door. Embracer's like, quick, hang on. I just need, I want to see, I want you to check out something in the garage. <laughs> Starts opening. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm curious how, how this all, this all plays out. Um, one last thing that it's sort of news, it sort of touches on some stuff I've been playing. Uh, I think I've hit the phase of Helldivers where I fucking hate people. Like, that's oh. just that's just it. I started, I started wow. having not amazing times playing that with Randos. Okay. Because okay, well, increasingly, every mission was starting to feel like I'm being held hostage by people who are like, I want to clean the map. And I'm like, we do not need to go to every point of interest. And kill every last bug nest or robot fat. We don't have to do that. We've hit the main mission, the secondary mission. We've hit a lot of other stuff. Can we just extract? Can we just extract so I do another <laughs> And like, people are just like, no. No. We're running off to here. And the game's like, and I'm not playing at a high level, but I'm running into more like sweaty, tryhard assholes who are like, <laughs> uh, you guys need to get back on the objective. I can't believe like, you, you know, you, like, why are you guys fight, fighting over there? Uh, I'm over here doing this. A lot more like fractiousness on the teams because like it's a little more stressful, but mostly it also just feels like I'm running into more of those people. Like the the, the wave of like everyone's super casual, it's a new game, everyone's having fun. Now I'm starting to run into people who are like, Hell Divers is my game, and I'm here, I'm not here to make friends. And I'm like, man, it's a four-person co-op shooter. I'm here to make friends. Or at least at the very least pass Aww. like pleasant time. Uh, <laughs> just like killing, killing bugs and robots. Uh but that, that I was I was sort of put in mind of that over the fact that like there were some posts about uh, the community kind of turning against itself because they felt like people were not fight- taking seriously enough the automaton threat. Uh, and there was like recrimination in the Helldivers like Reddit that when this planet that people like the missions kept steering you toward uh, Malevolon Creek. Uh, when that fell to the automatons, people were like, this is what happens when you don't play the game right. This is what happens when you're not, <laughs> when you're not like, like playing objectives and you're, and you're XP farming. And I don't know if that's true because, you know, Kata, you spotted this news story yeah. and it's something I'd alluded to, which is the strong sense that like the meta game has this whole like war playing out and you, there's every mission contributes the score on a planet. But I was always like, it feels like it's kind of just engineered to go a certain way. And God, you saw like PC gamer basically went and answered that question. Like yep. how the war works in hell divers. <laughs> yeah. I, I just saw that this morning, but the, the, the article dropped yesterday from, from recording day. Um, it's a guy named Joel. Guy named Joel. Shout out to Joel. <laughs> Shout out to Joel. We have an actual person with the title of Game Master. A single Helldivers 2 dev named Joel is pulling all the strings on its galactic warlike, an all-powerful D&D dungeon master. War will become more, quote, more and more sophisticated over time. That's the title of the article, by the way. <laughs> uh, what is, War what will is change. Joel. War will change. Joel. Um so like yeah like 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 we you had you know previously kind of uh uh speculated that it's 
it doesn't necessarily track to like exactly where every where everyone is playing, but it does seem to have influence on like what choices Joel might make to like push and right. pull. But the idea is that there is some sort of push and pull, and I think it's really interesting actually that they just have a person to do that, right? Like we saw like we've seen games in the past, like you know the whole like. AI director thing back in Left Left for Dead, right? The, the whole like we have something that's going to make it feel organically like different each time, or th- like things are happening or- organically. It's just like, well, we just get an organic person to do it, <laughs> right? Like have someone make decisions that are interesting. And I was like, this is I really love this this approach, and I'm I'm interested to see how much of that uh, does come out uh, interesting because it's someone kind of like you know, pulling the strings in, in the background. Yeah, it definitely got me curious to see, like, how, like, I think they did a, I think, I'm not even sure they were really trying to create this sense of, like, I think the Malevolon Creek phenomenon is entirely community generated. I think that is entirely, like, people getting kept getting match made onto that planet. Mm-hmm. And so it became, like, the defining battleground against the uh, automatons at this stage of the game. But mm-hmm. I don't think that was, like, a, metagame choice really i think it was like it's the thing the community latched onto because of where the game is at uh and the notion that 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 then fell that like that that planet now is like uh players aren't going there because like it's 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 robot controlled that's really cool like seeing how this stuff will 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 unfold over the arc of the game is is really neat makes me want to try some more but also like I can't, I can't do it with these, I can't do it with these randos, man. I just can't. Like it's, you run into, (laughs) like, you know, you run into a couple bad folks in a game like this and you're like, I've gone to great trouble to arrange my life so that I don't have to spend time with toxic people. (laughs) I don't, I don't know that I need to play a game where like (laughs) part of the appeal is like, I'm going to be toxic. So uh, yeah, to stream it more. That's the answer. That's (laughs) yeah. That's that's true. Um, oh, Jen and Patrick, uh, I assume y'all have kept up on the Final Fantasy. Yeah. Hey, you still mm. bullying that piece of shit? Chadley? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What the fuck? I like posted have, like two. What is wrong <laughs> with Chadley? Not like Chadley bullying. I, like, be I, nice I, to I Chadley. Put a, be nice to no, Chadley. I, why? Why? Give me one reason. He gives you intel and materia. He's helping. Oh, you know what I can get? I can go to a, a materia vendor in any any number of shops. But then you have to throughout spend the greater, the greater land. I'll be honest. Then I'll be honest. The gil. material he dra- the material he crafts is not even that good. I think there's like <laughs> one that I got excited about. Fuck! I'm just making him for the XP at this point. I learned how to use Unity and I made a combat simulator. Shut the fuck up, Chadley. <laughs> no, I hate Chadley. Chadley, Chadley, Chadley I- yeah. Chadley's public enemy number one. Um, I posted <laughs> no. two Chadley hate tweets last night <laughs> in honor of the launch I know. of the game. Oh I my know. God. I'm on the same page. Do not haters directed yeah. at, directed at both of us. Um, but learn how to direct your energy in the right place. Sometimes yeah, Chad- little children need to be bullied, and Chadley's one. He's of also them. he's not even a Chad. He's a robot. He's a robot. Why is he a robot? I don't understand why he's a robot. No. Um, oh, I, I guess the audience happen. is into AI. 
Oh, I guess awesome. I guess I guess there is. Oh, Boo. yeah, yeah. I also I didn't know this until last night. So one, yes, I am playing Final Fantasy. Yeah, uh, I'm also playing Bellatro, but those are my two that I'm. Mainly <laughs> oh, we'll get there. Oh, we'll get there. Oh yeah, it's we got a pair me, of games to talk about and here. Patrick's you know reign of terror. <laughs> Everyone else, cut the mic. It's time for us to shine. Um, yeah. Oh God, so much to say about Shadley. Um. Well, I, I saw him in Queen's Blood, kicked his ass. I had the best game wow. of my life. I ran the table. And then I, saw I ran like 29-0 it up. Nice. in the they, screenshot that you they, posted. If this happened in real life, I would have been chastised for my poor sportsmanship because I clearly had already won. <laughs> and I literally looked oh. at my hand and I and I you, ran up the number. I was you, like, I'm putting down to the end. my highest numbers. I mean, the game, the, end, the game but says, but like, Hold triangle to, to end pass. Yeah. turn. I, I didn't hear a whistle. I love I love the fact that you can <laughs> make you can, yeah. You I love the fact that you can make it so that the enemy can't play cards anymore and you just yeah. keep putting shit down. That's yeah. just rack that number up, baby. You, I mean, I mean <laughs> it literally, literally does nothing like, as far as like, I can tell, right? Like the number go up, but it just feels good. <laughs> well, the board is full. Yeah. Like yeah. in Queen yeah. in Queen's Blood, there is a it's it's a game of control points, and yeah. you can eliminate their control points and they can no longer have cards to play uh, but uh-huh. you do and you can hold triangle and like forward to the to the end until everything's exhausted or you can tell that robot what's what and uh, keep playing your cards also something I didn't know until last night because I again I never played the original Final Fantasy and I actually mm. have mm. never played any Final Fantasy but these two games 7 and 7 Rebirth interesting what um <laughs> Yeah. Whoa. Like I met. It's funny. <laughs> then I played. I played. I played Final Fantasy VII remake, and then like not too many years after that, I, that's when I played Kingdom Hearts. So technically, I was like, I knew mm. who Cloud was because like sure. he exists. You know, <laughs> like like oh this. Blo- and it's funny because Cloud has so little personality. If you just know he exists, you basically know the character. So it's, it's actually it. yeah. very yeah. convenient. Like he doesn't have much else hmm. to add other than that's being like, hmm. you know, he's kind of just like ah, hanging out. Um, look at my sword. Yeah, you know, he's like, people are saying things to me, and maybe I'll respond. Maybe I won't. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, I love Cloud. But I saw all those characters in Kingdom Hearts. Te- that's like my most technically that's very funny. I'm like, that oh, rules. like, I know you from Kingdom Hearts. But um, I mean, it seems I didn't know. Right? Yeah, I didn't know Chadley wasn't in the initial game. And I'm like, so yeah. you tell me we didn't need that, Chadley? No, this no, is a new totally innovation. New. Totally new, new innovation. Which, which also to to Chadley's mechanical point, I actually do like the battle simulator. I do like the intel. I do like the material he gives me. I just don't like him. I don't like <laughs> his personality. I don't like yep. his attitude. I don't Sometimes like his voice. the child has bad vibes. Yeah, like he's, uh, and, and I and I hate how it's like a small thing. But again, like in um games like this are interesting because they're so vast that I think they more so than other types of games warrant more granularity in the conversation because when you're doing something you end up doing it eight million times so it like even the small stuff becomes big and one of the he things he doesn't have that enough hate, new dialogue chadley just i loop, wouldn't know because i muted him loop loop what is he saying <laughs> what is he saying i don't know that's not my that so i have many pieces with chadley but one of them is when you do the battle simulator stuff and if you want to restart match like you want to try again sometimes i want to try again with like different people because for some of the battles you can like choose who you have with your crew. That's yeah. not an option. You have to just like back out of the whole thing. 
And then he has this mm. whole spiel like, oh, thank you for trying my simulator. Maybe next time you won't get your ass whooped. And then you have to go back in. He's like, oh, hi, welcome to my simulator. I was just talking to you. I didn't go anywhere. I'm literally right here. The exact um, same thing happened. He appears everywhere the, in the world. He's a jump scare. When I saw him on yeah. that boat, I almost jumped off. I was so tired. What are you doing here? Why are you here? He, yeah, he does the, the same uh, uh, dialogue loops when... Uh, what they call them, uh, fiend intel, um, yeah. mm-hmm. which is where there are uh, sequences in the in the open field, the open world portion of the game, where you come across a uh, like a specialized version of an otherwise kind of g- generic enemy, and then you have to defeat them in a unique way. Often it is just as simple as defeat within a time limit, stagger them, uh, and then uh, or pressure them, which is to like pressure is when you use a, a weakness that they have. To sort of set them up to be staggered, which prevents them from attacking. Uh, and but some of them are a little unique, or like I had one in particular where I waited too long to do that fiend, and I was too powerful. Yeah, so I, had I just the same problem. So I I was killing them before I could get the stagger meter or, or the the uh, the pressure to turn into a stagger. I was just and so I eventually found a unique combination that allowed me to like, get it in the final blow but i had to retry this sequence i don't know 15 20 times because yeah. i just Ooh. kept killing the enemy too fast over and over again uh and every time i, I should have just done what you did which is just to loop to, to mute the dialogue because i wanted to i eventually took my headphones off i did the i did the sequence I guess I did mute him. I took my headphones off and <laughs> wow. then did the also, sequence without listening to him. What's beautiful about having him come out of the controller and then muting the controller on the system settings is if you did want to hear what he said for some reason, don't know why that would be, but if you did, um, you could just record that clip. And when you play the clip, it comes out of your TV. So there you go. You're not losing anything <laughs> except for annoyance of Chadley. I had that same problem with that same battle. I forgot which creature it was, but I know exactly the spot I can picture it yeah. in my mind. Um, I still haven't done it. I'm waiting because I did get, and I would, I hopefully I get a second one. I don't know. I got the, um, I forget if it's material or I think it's an accessory or like an item, but where you can turn into a frog. Oh, right. So like I have one of those, which might be enough to do it. Yes. Because one of the characters can't really do anything, which might be enough, but I'm kind of hoping I get a second one so that like I can just go in as cloud and do that. You can. So that mini game where you get. Okay. The minigame where you get the the ring um, in Junon, if you complete the, the the three levels of a high score See, on that I like can't. circular, <laughs> so this is your problem. One. So I, I I like completing all of this of Final Fantasy mm-hmm. uh, of Rebirth shitty minigames. I love it. So many of these minigames are so <laughs> bad, not interesting. I mean the the, the bit like the the card game Fort yeah, Condor, please, like those are ones good. Yeah, I'm so yeah, like, bad at Fort Condor. So, so I I I, I almost whipped my controller across the screen at the last one in. And then when uh, hard mode unlocked, Juna. I wanted to cry. I was so. I want sad. I want nothing more to do with. I I am waiting. Hey Patrick, so the last. It, it, so it wait. sounds like this game might be turning you into a raging asshole. <laughs> like, I like, love this. I love it. I think he was like that when we kid. found him. Yeah. <laughs> the condor sucks. Smash. Well, it, so- it I sounds hate like my Janet's- favorite Hold on. game. Hold on. Yeah, you yeah. got to Junon, right? Is what you just said, Katie? Where's Patrick? my do? <laughs> well this is like what i what i always yell in these instances um is if y'all remember um wedding crashers the moment yeah, where what's his face shows up I f- y'all know who i'm talking about you know oh, he has the um, Owen Wilson. no 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 the uh god who is it 
It's oh, sorry, it's not, not it's not it's not Owen Wilson. Is it Bradley Cooper? Is it, who's the who's no, the, the, too good to be true? The the dude. Yeah, the legend guy who lives with his mom. That guy. What's his name? I know his name. He's like a super known right, actor. Right, I just can't right. remember yeah, his yeah, name. Yeah. Fuck. I'll look it up after this. But the um, you know, he shows up and he's like the one who crashes the funerals, right? That guy. Um, and he's lives with his mom and he yells like, Ma, put the um the meat the meatloaf. He's like, Oh, do you want the meatloaf? He's like, You know what I want the meatloaf? He's like, Ma, <laughs> the meatloaf, we're hungry. Put the meatloaf in the oven. So me and in my household, we usually say that for pizza because we make a lot of frozen pizzas. So when I'm having like a really like nerd goblin moment i'll be like put the pizza in the oven <laughs> so i don't my know what, the, this, what that adds to my moments with this are like trying to be quiet on the couch at 11 p so i'm very angry but i'm also very i'm very restrained and quiet i want to throw the controller but Checking i don't want to how much <laughs> torque that dual sense i've done 100 i've i've twisted the dual shock yeah. and then gotten it to a point where it's like well i don't those controls are expensive. I don't want to run. I don't want to replace that until it actually. Will Ferrell. It actually does. That's what I thought, but I couldn't. I couldn't okay. quite name him. Okay. I was. For, I was also. Is it? Is Owen Wilson? He's the. He's the romantic the rival in Meet the Parents, right? He's the dude who's Owen, like. Uh, in Meet the Parents, well, Owen Wilson is in this too. He's yes, the he is. He's one of the wedding guy, crashers. Yes. The the yes. title <laughs> wedding crashers, but he <laughs> plays. He one. plays the Bradley Cooper role in Meet the Parents. Another another movie where it's like a retreat to the countryside and spend time with the mm. family. Uh, but y'all, I have a question for you because this, this is the thing a vibe I've picked up or it, that I'm feeling around rebirth. What do you and mean? I'm just curious. <laughs> so I feel like with with um the, the the first game, I hear tons about like just the strength of the Shinra setting, uh, the or Midgar setting, the the city, mm-hmm. um, just the just the the vibe and the placeness of it all, and the big moments like the, you know, the the, the obviously the the opening sequence, but then culminating in this really memorable, uh, you know, sequence of events around the the plate. But everything about that, hearing people talk about it, I have the strong sense of like what's happening and where it's happening and like all the vibe and cool stuff in happening in Final Fantasy. And with this one, I know the game's building toward a really big iconic moment, but I'm not sure I've heard like it. I haven't heard much that makes it feel like this game has the strongest sense of like, here is a cool place where we are in. Here's cool things we are doing. And I'm curious, does it feel like, the game opens on second act problems a little bit where you're kind of like just by, by where you fall in the story you are in, you are in and in between. Yeah. You're not wrong, except its solution to that problem is to make like a really fun space to it. Like I, I, I think as we talked about last week, like uh, Jan had played more than me, but we were still roughly in the same zone-ish of, of area. She just progressed further in this area, Junon, than, than I had in chapter four of the game. But uh, had m- not much had happened in the story, and I was fine. Um, that doesn't mean that I thought this, but maybe the story isn't t- told all that well later on. But what was here, the combat, the exploring, the world, like the side quest, like we're doing, doing enough for me. Um, and I've just, I just finally, I did everything in the Junon area except for the last Fort Condor because I'm waiting, or I guess that'll be cool now, but I was waiting for guides to come out. Just tell me which motherfuckers to put in place. I feel like it doesn't even matter though. Because how can you know all the answers and yet you still fail every time? I don't know, but I do (laughs) playing Fort Condor. And that's what drives me up the wall about Fort Condor. 
I have finally gotten a little bit better now that I'm starting to use like my um God, what's his actual name? It's like your mage, basically. I forgot the name mm-hmm. of Yeah, the one the heal the, the, the cleric. The cleric, yes. Yeah, now that I'm actually like putting the cleric out and like thinking that about when l- I put that- the cleric out, that's helping a lot. Are you putting your cleric yeah. out? I don't mean to be that guy. I am. I am. And I just, I had it. I had a moment that broke me, which was I, uh, I had, so the way Fort Condor works is it's like, you, if you've seen screenshots of the characters where they're kind of like blocky action figuring, uh, looking, looking guys, you are like on the right hand screen, you have two tracks and you're seeing, uh, what enemies are going to be spawned. And there's a bit of a rock, paper, scissor element of like, you can place this enemy that's, has an advantage against that enemy, and it's you against the the other the opponent to try and rock paper your scissors way across. And you have soldiers, uh, mages, uh, archers, and then hero characters that uh, are, are are present. And there's essentially the the rock paper scissors is uh, attack, defense, and what's and then ar- ar- archery. Like, like, range, the, like, yeah. like yeah, the range. Like those are like the sword, three sort arrow, of, shield. Are the yeah, yeah, three. yeah. Uh, and if you place enough of those individual ones, you can then execute the he- the hero character once in- into a fight. Anyway, Who aligns with so, one of those three. Correct. Uh, and so I, the last one I had to do in Junon, I, 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 I had a breakthrough. I got to the other side, took out those, those, bo- those owl motherfuckers that you have to, that are, like, you know, shooting and taking can tan fire. And I'm taking out the boss. And they just wouldn't attack fast enough. I, I got down to a sliver that. of health. Yes, and then, and then I lost. It's like I don't want to do this again. I don't. Just stand I don't, like, there. <laughs> I'm like, do something. Fuck. I guess we. Bada I guess bada. this is turning us into like greasy little nerds in our like. <laughs> but I'm having non-living like, basements. Is, but some of this is inside. You know, I'm internalizing the. And, you know, I'm not just getting on hell divers and screaming at people. I'm like, do <laughs> fucking do something. You know, I feel like I'm. What is it like the. The Gordon Ramsay is fucking raw. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm also enjoying this game despite the the sparks of hate. My, well, my, ang- you know, my anger to love. My anger speaks to like my frustration speaks to how much time like fun I am having with the game more broadly. Mm. Like, I want to do everything. I yeah. am digging as deep as I can. I'm not engaging in Queen's Queen's blood because oh. card games do nothing for me. I can't. I can't. I can't. I just. I just. I don't have care. You tried, I just, have you tried? I did enough to complete the mission in Nibelheim because that's a quest. Mm. It was not a queen's. The, the game right. splits what you have to accomplish in an area into two things: quests and queen's blood. I have heard that the queen's blood has kind of its own connected story that goes yeah, along. There's a cool cutscene that comes up that gets increasingly darker and weirder. Yeah. and I would love. I, I don't think I have time for it, and I'm not even sure if this exists. But the you can beat Chadley's ass in Queen's Blood if you. Well, that is very play. attractive. So. Um, <laughs> But the the Queen's Blood characters are just the bizarrest set of weirdos. Like they all seem specifically written to be some of the strangest NPCs that you encounter. There's one in Nibelheim that uh, is a woman surrounded by boxes. Column, column, column. Right. Uh, <laughs> and if if you uh, when you when you have to you have to knock over the boxes <laughs> to get to her, and then when you talk to her, the first thing she says is. Like some version of like you asshole, like you knocked over my boxes, like yeah. that. Those were mine, and there's just how did you get through my of, defenses? <laughs> it's just a bunch of complete. I mean, it's it does, part funny. of that speaks to one of my favorite parts of the game is that it's. Uh, I think it's profoundly funny and tonally off kilter. Like I love that part about it. Uh, it's something that having finished the most recent Final Fantasy, 
last year, which obviously leans into the grim dark and the self seriousness in a way that I I don't think particularly worked. Not to mention, I just didn't like the story it was telling and I didn't care for the characters. Um, whereas here, I like the story that it's telling. I like its characters, but I also just like how I like how odd it is. Like there's a dolphin racing mini game yeah. where I'm like hitting these barrels to go faster. Is it that fun to control? No. Does it last very long? Not really. Is it that is there that much depth? No, not 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 much going on here. But I just love how scattershot it speaks some in some ways mm. it speaks to a point Rob is getting at earlier about just a way games are made differently. And here you have they're remaking this game. To some extent, we can, you know, you know, uh, talk about the definition of what remake means uh, in the context of this game stories, particularly. But like they're making three of them, a trilogy of games to do one game. But one thing that they're able to do as a result of that is like really double down on that, like just the weirdness, like the like how often you're, you're engaging in a strange mini game in order to accomplish a main story task um, or like in Junon when I'm suited up as a soldier and I need to go find 10 units so that I can do a, a really strange music pattern rhythm game to see if I can win oh, in an award I'm at so the happy. end. I'm so happy. <laughs> it's there. It's there. I don't it think it's very exists. good or fun, but it's odd. And I love how odd this game is. It has real character, like mm-hmm. beyond its capital C characters. Like, and, and it's something that I think was part of seven like there, there is that DNA already there. Yeah. But Rebirth is putting its own spin on it in a way that I find just unbelievably endearing and charming. And I think that speaks to why I want to do everything in the world because it does seem like there's a lot of care put into extending that charm into every nook and cranny of of Rebirth. And it sounds like you know, Janet, you're further than me. You've escaped chapter four. <laughs> I'm in yes! the I'm in the I'm in the I'm process so of doing that. I finally like the. The spot I got to last night before I set it down was the assassination attempt, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like a sequence. So I'm I'm headed in that direction, but I'm not there yet. But it sounds like you've continued to want to tick as many boxes as you can in the game in a way that I think you and I were predicting maybe eventually we would fall off of that and just want to see the story uh, through. I'm going to try to write it out the way I'm playing it. Um, it is like a... Talk about being trapped in something of your own making. I'm trapped in this game. And like, but I'm fine with that. <laughs> like, I've, I've made my peace. Um, yeah, this is. You're I making think, pizzas and you're at peace. Exactly. Like, to Rob's point, and I was never like a, a Final Fantasy VII remake stan, you know? Like, I had plenty of criticisms of that game and still do. Um, I think, I do think this game lacks like the, so at least so far, and I'm now like, 30 plus hours in um it lacks like that narrative grandiosity but i think the reason i'm not i'm not too mad at that is that i at least i know who people are so i'm kind of just happy with that but i i do think it's a it is a slow burn and there's not a lot going on and i'm in from people that have finished it it seems like that kind of continues to be like the issue with this game even like when you do hit the end so um TBD on that and how that pays off because it is a lot of like, yep, we're on our way to stop Sephiroth. Okay, and we're on our way to stop Sephiroth. <laughs> and we're following, so we're still following those guys because we think they're going to lead us to Sephiroth. But in between all that, there is the 
it is open world fodder. Right. But like, I don't know. I want to do it. I think what they do that sucks you in and that traps you is that they, there's not like a ridiculous number of things to do, but they do happen to take a lot of time and it adds up. So it's like, oh, there's five little things here couple queen's blood there and suddenly like that's a good chunk of hours yeah but i feel good having done it i like doing it i like the combat in this game i like leveling up i like getting my materia i like checking off chadley's stupid little boxes like <laughs> i enjoy that flow and while i'm not quite as enamored with the npcs as patrick is because I, I do think they just kind of have that like which i like the pokemon npcs fine but they kind of have that pokemon energy of like they kind of say something and then it's like dun 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 dun, dun you know the music plays or whatever <laughs> and it's like okay yeah i guess um, but I do, I do fuck with the nonsense of the dolphins and the kind of goofier. I think I enjoy the humor more when it's through what I'm actually doing and not just the wrapping around what I'm doing. Like mm. someone's silly asking me for something that's a little amusing, but like doing something dumb, I find that more amusing. So things like the dolphin thing, things like, um, you know, at one point, um, or even like looking at kind of the marking material, right, to save people from spoilers, like. Red riding the chocobo. Yes. God, that looks stupid. Like, give me some Perfect. stupid shit in this big ass game um, so that I can kind of like, um, you know, amuse myself with that throughout. Um, and yeah, like there's just it's like the it's it's just like the right kind of bingeable thing. And like, I don't know. Should I be eating this much of this? You're not my doctor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, hey. It is what it is. Um, but I'm really I'm really enjoying my time with it, even though I do think to be critical, I think there's plenty of like overarching like flaws to pick at or, or like uh shortcomings, but like it is a very lovable game to get lost in, I think. What what feels um kind of where I feel like the big difference is from remake to rebirth is the section of game that they've adapted um in remake uh the the midgar section like midgar as a city is very dense and there was a lot of um kind of spaces where you could fill something in that still felt uh you know it still felt like it you could slide spots into the plot of the original game like pretty easily and not have the pace be too far off but y'all are talking about like how many hours are you in when you got to junon Ooh, I actually might have that. Which area is June on it? Is it Dawn of a New Era, Chapter 4? Is that Chapter 4? I, I have no clue. I, I mean, I'm only in Chapter 2 myself, so, like, I'm probably... Because uh, I ended Chapter 3. I, I kind of lost track of keeping count this meticulously because I was doing it for, like, oh, maybe this can help someone at work. <laughs> like, this, this data. <laughs> um, at the end of Chapter 3, my runtime was, like, 12 hours and 38 minutes. So, granted, okay. in Chapter 2, I lost one to two hours of progression because I, after a battle, instead of hitting retry, I hit restart at checkpoint. And why it sent no. me back one to two hours, I have no clue. No. But I was so upset. Um, so, don't do that. Don't don't hit ever hit restart at checkpoint. I don't even know why that's an option in but the like, game. But, and then Dawn of the Chapter 4, it took me, like... I was like at hour twenty seven because I went back. So I, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're if you're getting at like how long each section is or yeah. like because I don't well, yeah. In the original game, uh, th you leave Midgar, you have the Nibelheim flashback, and you walk to Junon, and that's like an hour maybe, 
right? There's nothing else there except an open the open world, and you get to see how big it is, and then you're you're just getting random battles in like this open grassland and like that's it there's no other like there's basically no other story aside from a a moment where you need to go get a chocobo which they did here again but for different uh and like but all this other extra stuff obviously instead of adding like there's no two there's no plot elements to like hook between these because it's just walking right in in midgar i feel like the plot elements were close enough together and they, that they could fill in stuff that made sense. Here, it's like a little more disjointed, which I think is affecting the pacing a little bit. I'm still interested because they're filling in spaces that are both new, like the people building the, um, like rebuilding the 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 wind turbines is actually super interesting because a huge part of the metaphor that kind of falls apart in the original game is the thing that they sort of not prop up but mention in counter to using mako energy is coal <laughs> because uh like that's just what the alternatives to like nuclear were back in the 90s right like if you're like following that metaphor that way and the idea that's like okay now we understand like green energies are a thing like maybe they've changed that specific uh plot point because now there's like a bunch of wind old wind turbines from like the the republic which also <laughs> another fucking anything thing that, that you doesn't don't know. perfectly typify nuclear opposition in the 80s and 90s yeah <laughs> it's long-term legacy <laughs> man i'm i'm on the right side of history here uh-huh. i'm finding nuclear energy <laughs> we can build coal plants folks i know it's very funny because like yeah it was just like it, the, the the metaphor there falls apart be, because it just like he was a little too close to things that were happening then it's like but no coal isn't coal is the one destroying the planet like y'all got it backwards so it kind of falls apart um but in this one, it feels like they're they're shifting already. At, at, I'm, I'm only in the fucking grassland still, which I thought, surely, I was like, I'm just going to blow through this. There's no way I'm spending nope. 10 hours Ooh. in the fucking grasslands. Um, what are you talking about? Zzz. I'm like, hour eight, and I just finished, I think I just finished the last quest, maybe. There's still points that I haven't seen in the grasslands, and like... I feel the pull, though. I feel the pull of, like, I should check that before I leave. Because I'm not going to come back, probably. But I also want to... I want to get the story moving. It's, 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 this, it's, this, it's this... The story's not going to move well, anyway, though. Not but no, gonna, will, don't will worry. You're going to go to Junon, and Here's nothing's, that, nothing's happening in Junon. You just open up another no, area and go to other Junon places. To the end, just and be like, the game Junon? never moved. Like, yeah, that's another 10 this? hours, Kato. That's another 10 <laughs> hours. Oh, that's a, this is the horrible thing of like, I, having just played this section of the original game, I'm like, I want to see where the changes happen, but I don't. It's a bizarre pull. It's a bizarre pull of like, I want to get to the bits that they've changed, kind of of the major plot points, but also, shit, they, paid a, they put a fun. Like they put fun side missions in here. They're fun enough, right? Yeah. That they're 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 yanking my attention as much as I want to just beeline it and be like, all right, what the fuck is gonna happen at the end of this game? Because I mean they even open they open with the things that are like I want to understand what they're doing with this timeline. Like it's that stuff seems really interesting and like Yeah. The I mean, Patrick, did you catch the thing that happened in the opening, like the the bit with Zach where it's like, oh, they're directly playing with the big spoiler um yes and like yeah i i fully thought that i accidentally skipped a cutscene after that because it skips from that moment straight to the nibelheim 
flashback and I was like, wait a second, mm-hmm. what the fuck are we doing here? And uh, it's, it's, also, it's, baby it's cloud weirdly... looks scary. <laughs> Just wait. It's not as bad as like baby Aerith. No, not Aerith. Baby uh, uh, Aloy, t- which was like one of the most horrifying like yeah. young characters young I've characters. ever seen in video games. Like uh, I was like, what is this? They're like, don't worry, you'll never see this twisted child again. It wasn't quite Baby that dramatic. Cloud is like his face is like twelve and his body's like eighteen. It's kind of weird. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what's bizarre. unsettling about it. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. Um, I'm like, I get it's in the past, but like, yeah, I don't I'm know. like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's weird. It's like the most frustrating but fun but time I've the had. Same. In is it because he's like stuck in time? I don't. Yeah, there's some shit with. You'll don't worry. You'll you'll learn about that. Like hanging out with his mom too much. Like what's going on? Why is he like? I don't know. Um, but it, yeah, it's I'm ha- it's like a bizarre feeling of just like this isn't this is fun enough to have me do it. But if I had the option, I would try to beeline it. But I feel like I would end up. It feels like I'm gonna end up. Uh, in a bad position, like level wise, like I assume yeah, that they ass- that they're going to, they want you to kind of do as much, at least a certain amount of the quests, side quests before moving yeah, on. Yeah, I was I was reading there was an IGN piece that was just a bunch of their editors explaining how long it took them to beat the game mm-hmm. to give in the, like the different approaches they they took, um, kind of relative to their assignments for covering the game. And there was one person in there who who mentioned that they were like you, they just wanted, they were too interested in saying. Yeah, the main plot and what were the like, like how that was going to play out. And they beat the game in 25, 30 hours. And they said it made Mm. it a little more difficult, but that broadly, you know, uh, like they did. I think they did some of the side quests that kind of came up pretty naturally on the route to where they were going. Right. But more or less just kept just kept progressing. Yeah. And were able to I mean, think of it as like a tune from, you know, maybe normal to hard. Sure. Um, It's not a. I, it sounds like none of us are playing on the adaptive difficulty. So yeah. this game no, gives yeah. you a, I forget how, what it describes it as, but essentially like an easy, normal, and then adaptive. Mm. And adaptive is like a dynamic difficulty in which traditionally in an RPG, right? Like enemies are scaled based on progression through the world. Um, and then if you come back to an earlier area, you'll be able to trounce through them. It's frankly one of my favorite parts of an RPG is turning into a god that can revisit old places. And dynamic difficulty says, no, we're going to adapt it based on your skill. And an enemy that was challenging at the start of the game will be challenging at the end, despite your increases in HP and materia and things like that. So um, it's not a particularly challenging uh, game. And so I, I I suspect you would be sure. I'm not just really good at the game. I did have trouble. I mean, I think we should explore yeah. that before just, you know, the snake boss is, 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 is a challenge. At least asks you to engage with the weaknesses system of the game. If you want to make, if you want to make it through without getting your, your ass handed to you well, uh, too, too much. But well, as fun as I had trouble with that, the first like fiend, the like big, the first big fiend Intel thing with, with the, the, that Fox that's kind of hanging out in an alco- alcove on the beach. Y'all remember that one? It's like, mm. It explodes. No, I, think, I, th- I know I killed it, but <laughs> yeah, I think we're built different. But yeah, no, feel well, here, uh, go on. Here's here's the thing is that I was running the classic Cloud Tifa Aerith run. You sure. Know, okay. And I was having trouble and I was like, oh, the weakness of this thing is like you have to put enough damage into it to stop it from doing its kind of exploding right. exploding attack. Um and I was trying to just 
focus it down with Tifa and Cloud. And then I was like, hmm, this isn't working out. And I think I had, because I was just coming off of Final Fantasy uh, original, that game I play with basically one one team and then maybe every once in a while swap in one person but it's very rare right like you just kind of focus and build on the the team that you want to like play the most this one feels like it's actually built to be a lot more like you can be reactive to like the, the situations like i realize that you can fast swap the the teams by like standing in the field and just hitting uh opening the yeah. menu and hitting r1 uh which they, they don't like point out uh, but then once i learned that i was like oh wow this it really points to them wanting you to just like kind of swap on the fly. And I swapped over to uh, Red and Barrett, who I hadn't been hadn't touched at all up until that point. Uh, but, you know, they 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 keep level parity with the whole party. And like I hit it in the first try with them. And I was now like, oh, I know the shit. fox you're talking about. The, the white one that like. It, yeah, we yeah, have to sniff has, it down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to sniff it down. Yes. Yeah, I do remember <laughs> that. Um, yeah. Which I think is a is is a is a fun way and even the difference from like remake where like I, I still definitely ran mostly with whatever party setup they had in remake uh sometimes they would force you into different ones but like i wasn't changing it on purpose a lot and this one feels like you know you have all five characters two of them are kind of off in the distance and then you can like swap them in like pretty quickly so i'm like i'm gonna i feel like it's it's i'm experimenting more with just swapping them in uh, on different uh, types of enemies. It was like, oh, like this one's pretty beefy. I think I might need a little bit more DPS. I'll swap in this other team. Oh, this these are there's a lot of them and they're doing a lot of damage. So I want to swap back in the healer. And it's a little bit more. Um, I'm I'm able to be a little bit more reactive to the battles that way, which is uh, uh, really fun. Um, I think a good a good change of pace. Uh, at the risk of stacking two, hey. Let's get deep in some weeds segments (laughs) together back to back. Uh, Everyone has gone buck wild for Bellatro. Yep. So Patrick, Cato, Janet, what's Bellatro? And (laughs) and why is everyone so why is everyone suddenly obsessed with it? You heard you've heard of this game called poker, right? Uh huh. The developer doesn't even like poker. It's the funniest That's part amazing. about it. That's yeah. amazing. Or deck or deck builders. Or I've deck never builders. played a deck That's builder. bullshit. No way. <laughs> yeah, they played a little of Slay the Spire to um, learn like the button controls on like how to do it on That's you know like what's the best way hilarious. to like do it. That was like from PC Gamer and Games Radar yeah. are the ones that I had read about <laughs> with some of those pull quotes. Why make this game then? For people Cause who because po- people understand people. poker, right? For the people. <laughs> Yes. Well, they they were inspired by another game. What was it called? Twos or the Big Two or something was the title they were pulling from. I don't know. Something like that. But yeah, why uh, not? But yeah, but yeah, Bellatro is a uh, <laughs> roguelike deck builder. Don't leave yet. A poker like. And look, hey, I liked playing this game. Let me just, you know, if you're scared, if you're running away, like, oh, no. Same. I, it has that Jan dumb bitch seal to... of approval from me and Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, damn, that's you. Yeah, you know what? Thank you for speaking the truth. Yeah. Um, there's the Nintendo uh... seal of quality, and there's the the Jan and Patrick <laughs> dumb bitch <laughs> seal of understanding. 
It, it yes, it has. Uh, it uses the iconography and the basic mechanics of poker, right? Where uh, you you know pairs, a flush, a straight, uh, you know, like having uh, using that the ideas of how you quote win a hand in poker, um, but then you are able to, you know, you're 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 every round you're trying to hit a certain blind, right? You're trying to accumulate enough chips that add up. Uh, in order to make it to the next one. And as you go from round to round, you can get things called jokers uh, that allow you to modify how that hand works. Uh, kind of do you want to explain, I feel like yeah. maybe a good example of this. The most, if you don't understand what a flush or a straight is, don't worry about it. What you do understand is a pair. And yeah. go watch the stream that Kato <laughs> and I did uh, last week in which we we beat the game like quote beat the beat. game we, like, we ended did a, finished we a run. finished one run yeah <laughs> we finished one run but can you explain because i feel like yeah. even if you understand the, the higher level of poker you understand pairs of cards and what right. we ended up doing with that so uh, the deck that you start with uh is a standard you know 52 card deck ace ace through king uh numbering suits everything like normal um and what you get at the beginning of your your turn in the game is you just get eight cards and you have to make the best poker hand that you can make from those eight cards, right? Which is usually five cards for a straight, three of a kind, four of a kind, or a pair, which is the most likely hand that you can get in in this situation. You're also allowed to take a turn to just pick a few cards and discard them, get rid of them, you know? So you can kind of massage your way into a better hand. But then every time you play a hand, you have uh, two things happen. It counts up how much... It counts the numbers on the cards. So if you play a five and a six, you have 11 chips. The first blind that you're trying to hit is 300. And you're like, well, how do I do that? Each individual hand, bears, three of a kind, four of a kind, flushes, straights, has a multiplier associated with it. So at first, you're like, a pair will multiply whatever, however many chips, the amount of printed uh, numbers on the card, times two, right? So, you know, you play a king and a queen you got uh 11 and 12 uh then times two and you get a bigger number great so to start off straights multiply your whatever the numbers are times four so if you can get a straight it's like wow that's a big number that's great and then you get a and then you start adding on jokers and one of the early jokers that we got patrick i believe in that run was uh it's, it's funny they're all represented by cards on your screen and one of them it's just like a little joker that got ripped in half and it's like mm-hmm. if you play uh, a hand that has three or fewer cards in it, we're going to add, I think it was 14, 10 to, 10 to 14 to the multiplier. Yeah. So suddenly. That's so good. Yeah. So suddenly. How does it feel to be God's favorite? <laughs> yeah. Well, well playing my experience that huh? I, I was, we were touched by God many, many times, times. Of course, of the, of this, of this run. Um, so, suddenly you can see how. God, I call out to you and I'll hear silence. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, suddenly you can see how uh, playing a pair can become enorm- an enormous amount of uh, money. And then. We just kept getting things that added onto that. Where like there was a card called Supernova, where it's like every single time that you play a specific hand, the multiplier for that hand goes up, and we, by one. By wow. one. So you look at so every pair, every the most common, uh, <laughs> like, this common is the most common thing I've ever had to listen to. <laughs> How dare you? 
the most common hand you can get in poker. Every single time we played a pair, that number went up. I remember looking at it one time and it's like, oh, we've played uh we've played a pair. Dozens. Dozens. More. It was like 79. It was like seven. Yes, it was like 79. 79, I think, is when we we looked. It was like, so we're getting a 79 multiplier. By having played that two, many just two pairs, we, two pairs, yeah. We, and then we got we got we got something else, which they're, they're planets, right? Mm-hmm. And so planets yeah. are things that can um, you can boost Specific individual hands, hands yeah. of poker. So pairs, three of a kind, four of a kind, straight flush, etc. And you'll the, the, essentially each one of those you play like goes up level one, level two, level three, etc. And we got a joker that insured. Oh no, it was a it was a it was a, it was a ticket. It was a ticket. It was a ticket. Yeah, there's a ticket. Vouchers, tickets tickets vouchers, are separate. Those yeah. are yeah vouchers, and that that gives you like a permanent perk bonus to 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 your build. And we got one that was like every time you pick a planet card, and the planet cards will be like Mars, you know Venus, and like those do different things to your deck. It will ensure that your most commonly played hand wow. will have an upgrade available. So every time we got a planet card, there was always an upgrade. For two of a repair, for two of a kind. Yeah. And so we just kept stacking these on top of one another to just such mystifying degrees. Of course, it helped that eventually we were also getting the... Um, we got a, uh, a Joker that multiplied the multiplier, which is... Yeah. which is a, This is another part of... This is actually a game for math. <laughs> this is a game for math sickos because the... the no, it's not. The jokes... No, it's the, I, the, but math... It is, but but it but it also is. It is, and you don't have to be a math. It's like a yes. square rectangle situation. Stands, you don't have to time. be a math stand to enjoy it. But if you are a math stand, you will enjoy it. There's people who like play card games via vibes, which means there's intuitive. Yeah, that's me. Maths. That's me. You're still doing math, but it's like you just a sort of you like kind of feel it out. Yeah. Yeah. Instinctive. Yeah. Like I have a sense of how the odds are. Like, is this a good play or not? Close and then there's enough, people who are know? like, I am going to bust out the calculator. I'm going to count like how many and this cards game are... loves you for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, you can pop up. You can pop up at any point during the thing. It'll tell you how many of each card is missing from the deck currently for you having played yeah, them. You can look at the deck. There's also uh, cards that will let you manipulate the deck. There was a time when we had like, how many sevens did we end up accruing? So, so one thing that we <laughs> ended up realizing there's there's essentially a way to clone cards. Yeah, um, it's a one off, and you can like, hey, you, you, uh, uh, it pulls up a set of, uh, you know, a, a hand. And it's like based on that random pull from the deck, you can take a card on the left and make it the card on the or the reverse, whatever. Yeah, yeah. like you're cloning a card, and we eventually thought it was extremely funny to lean heavy into sevens um, because it just, we just kept getting sevens pulled up with that, with that option. I think, yes, we ended up with almost 20 sevens in our deck. And so not only were we getting these, these pair bonuses, but they were just specifically pair bonuses, sevens, 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 sevens. And so like, as you go along, you get ways to just specifically, Okay, a Discord uh, has notified me that Janet Garcia is currently playing. <laughs> I want to look at um, what cards I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell my yeah, own story, up. which isn't as successful. Also, just, Discord, mind your fucking business. Why are you out it's here? It's a snitch. Narc. I turned that shit off bars. immediately. Look, the second that I could, I, I turned that shit see, off. So I could tell my sad story of like my what what success is like for a regular person. Okay, not someone that just gets. Handed a million pairs. Well, 
and can it's just true. walk it's... on down and take on a... anything that comes your way. Okay. Well, Kato and I had a uh, a synergy because yeah. I am. Numbers don't make sense to me. Yeah, you I had those cards and are. you had Kato. I'm, that's <laughs> okay. the thing. I had I had extreme vibes yeah. and then also had extreme math. <laughs> and then we we found a, a synergy together that, that took us yeah. all the way home. I think I'm I'm never I, more I feel, I'm like hearing a gameplay story than in this time. <laughs> if there's a if vibes to math is a spectrum, I'm like somewhere in the middle, actually uh, leaning towards math. But I not feel like a that lot, means you honestly. just have a lot of vibes. Then I don't I, think that's do. like an indictment on your math. <laughs> um, but yeah, it. Uh, God, that was a spectacular run. Uh, because yeah, we got both multipliers. Where like one of the multipliers was if you play the same hand twice. The, it multiplies everything times three and everything yep. is like we said like i said before all the jokers fire in sequential order up across the top of your screen you can rearrange them so there's moments where like you're getting a bunch of uh, uh you're getting like up to like 150 160 multiplier and then just multiply that times three at the end it's just like the numbers get wild Ching. oops <laughs> i we were playing hands where we were deliberately looking for yeah. a worse yes. hand to play because we had this one, but we had this one Joker that produced uh, a t- they call tarot cards, right? Yeah. The the ones in the upper right. Yeah. And if we played less than three cards, it automatically produced a tarot card. And we had another uh, bonus where if we sold a tarot card, it increased a multiplier yep. for wow. that. Um, for that for that. Uh, level like you know the string of three before you get to the, to a boss yeah so we were we were deliberately like can i'm we glad play you a- don't like queen's blood <laughs> <laughs> don't play it <laughs> stay out of our community <laughs> so we yeah, were playing, we so we were playing like twos of- <laughs> twos and threes and stone blocks in order to just get yeah. uh like through another another hand it was it was it was truly wow janet please tell us about yeah tell us about your run yeah how the normies live well, over that's here sounded um, really condescending this is just like I did Indie Council yesterday where we were also obviously talking about Bellatro and Jill Grote was like, oh, yeah, like I played this hand the other day. I don't know. She had like 100K or 50K. It was like a high number. It wasn't like eye bleedingly high, but it was high. And then she goes, Janet, what's your biggest hand been? I'm like, fucking 14K. Like, can you why did you at, you why did you why did you set me up? Like, why would you set me up this way? Anyway, um, yeah, the game's great. I have yet to win a run. I'm chasing it. Um, I think another fun aspect to this that also I think you guys did a great job generally explaining how the game works in like pretty much the simplest terms. Um, the other wrinkle that they throw in at you that I think helps make it. I think this game does a great job at running that line of do you like being OP? This is a game for you. Do you like being challenged? Also a game for you. And I think it does both really well um, and kind of caters to both of those play styles, which I think is one of the reasons that it has hit such a mass appeal because you get to chase kind of both of those highs at the same time. One of the wrinkles they throw in is some of the blinds or like, you know, kind of the challenges that you like run up against sometimes have their own kind of modifiers attached mm-hmm. to them. Like one of the mm-hmm. ones that took me out early was something called, I think, the needle where you can play one hand. So I'm like, oh, I can't, but I can't score high enough on the one hand. And they're like, "Mm, you can only play one. And I'm like, ah, damn. Uh, Last time I was taken out by the wheel. And oh, oh yeah. Now I remember. God, Uh, literally, I, and I love playing this game. Super enjoyable. But I was playing last night in bed 
And before I, I didn't realize how invested I got. By the time the <laughs> run was over, stress on the back. <laughs> I was just like, my shoulders had tightened. I was like, I was so invested and I was so torn. But um, yeah, I got taken out by the wheel because that modifier was um, within like every seven cards that get drawn, like some of them will be face down or something. And I'm just like, I had that one good, I, I played one really good hand, but I kind of used all my discards at that point. And I'm like, I just need one other good hand. And I never got that good hand. Uh, and I, I uh, ended at like, um, my highest score was last night at 46 K for a single hand. Um, but yeah, I'm also having fun uh, with this game. <laughs> um, some of my fun moments like that, nothing quite that, you know, in sync and in conversation with everything. Jan- Janet, when I play this by myself, I'm just you. Like, <laughs> like when I'm like that on doesn't my scene, that feel better. <laughs> That's I, even- it doesn't make me feel better either. This is why I don't play these fucking games. Look, uh, and so, look, like we when we finished our run, Kyle was like, oh. I'm curious what you'll do next. And I was like, yeah, never play this game again. <laughs> no, you I'm totally done. should. Like, I also, I should um, actually move backwards for like even more context. I don't know poker at all. And when I say I don't know mm-hmm. poker at all, I mean like, imagine someone was just born. That's <laughs> how, like one step above that, where I know some of like the names of the suits. Sure. But even that, I'm like, mm, what's this one again? And I like don't even know the order that they like go in. And obviously, I know the numerical order. It's like, okay, it goes up low to high. Yeah, joke. Like, yeah, Joker Queen. Joke, King. Yes, that yeah. I don't know. Like I had to write that down because I kept forgetting it. That's how much I didn't know what how to play poker or anything with this, and I still was able to play this game because I think they do. Besides being able to like look at your hand, your the types of hands you can play at any time. Yep. It also has um, it automatically puts them in order for you. So obviously, you still have yes. to kind of know. Okay, remember that 10, you know, comes before Jack and then you need like whatever order for so that you know what card you're missing. But other than that, you're basically good to go. I think the other hurdle that um, people that are new to poker would have is even though you can reference the hands you can play at any time, you do kind of need to like just gain a little bit of familiarity with what those hands are simply to be able to look at what you have and start to strategize what you're going to do. That is the other hurdle that I kind of ran into where it's like, well, what should I do? And they're like, oh, well, I, was, I streamed this at first. And chat's like, oh, well, you should discard these because you can like pursue it straight. I'm like, okay, I don't, uh, sure. You know, I'm like, just kind of doing it. Having done that for a bit, like it was very easy to go off on my own and play. Um, but talking about like synergies and strategies, like one card that I pulled was the red card, which gains plus three multiplier when any booster pack is skipped. And then I also had one point had some cards that, financially benefited me because you gain money after each round as well um and it's a little bit of interest so i started just opening packs simply to skip the packs to gain you know the multiplier the multiplier so a lot of things that i think work in this game is like one of the secret sauces for a game like this especially like one that doesn't technically have an end you know it's like oh you can finish a run or maybe you could collect all the things or get all the achievements um but it's the way that it's, it's so different every time. And I love that it's not really a game about, while games like this can be fun, this is not a game about developing a singular strategy and running with that strategy. I think all of us as players probably have tendencies. Like for a long time, I was heavy into just doing like a two pair. Now I'm kind of more into like the full house because of like how I'm building my deck and how I like to build my deck. But ultimately, things will kind of change at any moment based on where the cards lead you or what the challenge leads you into. And I think that's what helps keep it fresh, what helps keep it fun. Then there's, again, if you want to pursue a completionist run of just gaining all the items, maybe you pick up some like 
not that favorable items, but maybe that invites a new strategy that you didn't think to implore had you not sort of pursued that. So I really like that aspect of it. And yeah, it's just a, it's just an exciting, approachable game that has enough intrigue to keep you paying attention, but it's easy enough that like you're going to be able to do it. Like if you kind of can get a little bit of the baseline down, which is not too hard to get down, you will get decently into a run. Um, I don't know how long it'll take to actually win. We'll see. I play every night, so I don't know. I will report it's like back. A, it's like a cut. I mean, like our, 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 the pair like got so powerful so fast due to a couple of lucky breaks. And what that took us two, two, two and a half yeah. hours. Now, granted, we're on streams, so yeah. we're taking a little bit slower. Yep. You know, maybe you do it ninety minutes, but like you know, I think if you break the the difficulty curve with like particularly good set of hands, like yeah. on the default settings, you can do it like in an hour hour and a half which and i'm sure that scales up or goes faster especially if you're like turning off you're making the animation cycle through faster like there are different tweaks you can do to the game uh to kind of speed things along one thing that i really love about it that i didn't really pick up on until we got towards the end as our numbers were scaling high and we had to like even kato math mathy person just sort of how big is it's gonna be big. It's gonna be big enough. I'm pretty big. sure. I don't know the numbers, yeah. but <laughs> but it doesn't tell you, right? And yes. the game is clearly calculating it. Like it could, it gives you lots of information. It tells you very quickly, very readably, uh, what cards are left in the deck in different ways. There are different ways to visualize the deck and what cards are left and how that might influence how you go forward. Does that spectacularly? Um, when you are picking cards from your hand. On the side, it will tell you that's a pair. Now that's two pairs. That's three of a kind. That's a straight. That's a flush. So if you are in that learning curve uh, area of figuring out how poker even functions and how the hands work, boom, it's giving you real-time solutions to that. There is fundamentally no reason why this game can't just surface every time you're playing uh, a potential hand what that hand is going to turn into. All all the math is just is just sitting there. But the game understands... It is exceptionally fun and exciting to watch it kind of like a pachinko machine to go yeah. like bunk, 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 like to have mm-hmm. it like, like hit, hit, hit. <laughs> and, you know, like there's even like a little fire high. that comes up. I don't know what when yes. the fire comes up, but just like when it's numbers when, really big. I, I think it, it triggers when the single hand is higher than the blind. Oh, oh, that's funny. Okay. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> that makes sense. Um. Yeah, I think and I can the, see someone modding this game to add like, hey, could you just visualize the score for me? And I can understand that being yeah. something you might want if you're trying to min max the game in a particular way. But I found it to be so delightful yeah. to just watch it uh, pinball its way towards its final score as it, as the hand plays out. You know, the satisfaction it kind of gives it. It feels reminiscent of the conversation we had many weeks ago at this point, Patrick, with Prince of Persia and doing something so well. That you're like, let me record it and show people. Yeah. And it's like, look at this. Yeah. And like, Bellatro has like <laughs> the conspiracy theorist board. <laughs> like, come look at my, please, you know, get like glance upon my genius and see my successes. <laughs> well, look, um, look I, I gave myself fully over. Like, Kato and I had a, a very good symbiotic vibes, chaos, <laughs> math relationship going. It was very beneficial for both parties. Yeah. And then at the end, so when you, Finish a run. You can exit and start a new run, or you can go Spoilers. into an endless mode. Um, and in an endless mode, 
they just start making the blind numbers. <laughs> the just, numbers really go up. <laughs> they just want you to game. They want you to game over. And we were able to make it a couple more rounds through. Yeah. And then we hit a set of blinds that were, were like, we have not gotten like I think we had it's seven million. Yeah, uh, was the the boss blind? And we were hitting um, like one point two. So I was like, maybe if we, we hit it, yes, <laughs> maybe if we do this well, just we, right. We, we had not. Well, we went, we hadn't had to really think too hard about it. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? We were just kind of playing with what's in front of us, and then the the jokers did did the work, and then we got to this final piece where what we were discarding, the cards we had were so important to even get us within, like. A sniffing, like 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 spinning distance of, of pulling this off. Yeah. That I just had to give up. I was holding the controller, but I was just a vehicle for Kato's math. And <laughs> and Kato told me what to do, and we did that. And That's so close. God, Godspeed. Like I recommend watching it. It's in, it's in the the, the the stream that we did when this goes up a week a week prior, where we finished out this run, and it's it's tremendously fun because it's we do get to have. It would have been we knew that we weren't gonna hit it. Like we knew that in our guts that there's just the cards. As good as our cards were, they weren't enough to hit this yeah. this blind. But if the game had surfaced, hey, you're only going to get one million off this. You're not going to get to seven million. That's no fucking fun. Right. What was way more fun was yeah. like me jumping up in my chair and being like, maybe, maybe, <laughs> as like each Joker hits, and like maybe we get to the end, and we didn't. But it was so much yeah. more fun, and I think it, it's little details like that. Like there's so much of this game that's smart. But it's 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 a lot of those small details that add up to make it special. Um, that d- taking this core and putting it in a different game, stripping this away at its core, it is a it's fundamentally good and interesting. But there's just so many other smart decisions that are made along mm-hmm. the way that I think add up to why this game is hitting, and it is it is making people like you and I, Janet, like curious about yeah. it as opposed to where a lot of these games fall are people like Kato who are just inherently drawn to good the, ones, these of styles these, yeah. of games. It's, yes. it's wild to I me mean, that it's hitting outside of the like card sickos too, because it's such a card sickos game where at least in, an, yeah. Yeah. at least in an inscription, for example, you had the narrative hooks outside of playing the actual right. cards that, that could pull you through that. This doesn't seem to have any of that at all. Almost like none. Like as far as I can tell, feel, yeah. though, that, huh? like it looks like a really nicely presented, like really like yes. gorgeously presented yeah. Windows default card game. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> yes. It's a nice it does have too. Windows three point one vibes. That's for sure. Absolutely. I think one of the things that makes this game work for outside of the sicko community, and also inside the sicko community. So it's just all it's just the community at this point. Um, is how. Two aspects, because if you look at the you know the core genre seeds, right, roguelike deck builder, something that I can't bounce off harder if that hits my <laughs> inbox. I was like, you yep. know what? That sounds great you for someone both. who isn't me. Um, <laughs> and I'll, and I'll, again, I'll still try a lot of these games. Like you know, we talked about like the, with other rogue oh, style things that hit. You know, like God of War had their mode. I'm like, that is cool. But it, I find a lot of and even like really good rogues that I have enjoyed that I would want to go back to, like Hades. It's like my issue with roguelikes is I can't I feel like I can't really because like that's the nature of the game like I can't really I have to feel like just get good but also like at a certain time like I feel like my payoff it's within it feels so delayed and I think it's so much easier to climb in Bellatro than it is in most rogues um and I also think that's because there's when you get different buffs it 
the strategy pivot feels a lot clearer than it does in most games. Right. While like other or other games might have like a more inherent skill aspect. Like you, it doesn't take skill. Not, not that you guys didn't do what you guys didn't. Not that what you guys did doesn't take skill, but it doesn't take skill to acknowledge that if I am buffing a pair, that means a pair is now better, and maybe I should play it. Right. That part's right. obvious. Right. Now aspects of the synergy on like how to pick it up or recognize like oh if we do this like this is gonna combine with this. That's sort of where the skill of Bellatro comes in or like the willingness to maybe invest in a certain run, but also be willing to be like bitten in the ass if like that ends up, oh, oh now all that's debuffed. It's like that happens sometimes too. Oh my God. But inherently, the when the door opens, like the path is there. And with other rogue games, I feel like when the door opens, it's like, are you good at melee? I'm like, no. Well, better luck next time. Maybe you'll pull the right thing for you. And I feel mm-hmm. like this doesn't feel like there is a right thing for me because there is no inherent difference between me playing a flush and me playing a pair. I mean, there's obviously like, maybe it's harder to get depending on the kind of cards you have or something, but there's not, you're just working with, there's not a skill. Yeah. You're working with statistics and not dexterity, like manual dexterity, right? Like it's like, if you know what the, the, the the odds are for any of these things, you can kind of, that's, that's the skill you pick up on is being like able to quickly look and like, be like, okay, I think it's likely that we'll, get something in if we discard these these and these right exactly and to a degree that could be that could maybe be said of like any card game right so then you go over to the deck builder part yeah this is a deck builder where you don't need to deck build i did not start manipulating my actual deck until like a while into playing like i'd streamed the game without doing that i had played on my own a few times without doing that and then finally i'm like you know what i'm kind of playing towards you know i'll make it up maybe a four of a kind seems like that's really beneficial let me try to like get a lot of this kind of, and I have like a face card buff or something. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, maybe I'll try to get some extra queens or something like that. Or I have something that maybe adds an additional multiplier that leans into what I'm doing. Like the deck building also kind of reveals itself. Like this is, and this is, and that's what's appealing about the game. You don't have to think and know things. You can just go in and figure it out. Like you're figuring it out each time. And sure you have, yes. And a lot of other games, it's about, like learning more how to play it. You already know how to play Bellatro if you play it like a little bit. You're done. And now it's just about engaging with the variables. And also the variables are intriguing. I feel like, yeah. and I have only gotten like 12 out of 150 jokers. So I'm sure there's plenty of like more like debuffy or funky ones. But this doesn't feel like a game where you walk into something and you're like, fuck, I have like a fucking bad run. I'm just fucked. Like you might know maybe you're not going to win because maybe you'd start to see like, hey, I'm not hitting high numbers. But because you're hitting the store every time and it feels like there's a lot of good stuff, I feel like it's the other thing. A lot of rogues, it's like, oh, well, you know, even something that I like, like uh, Cult of the Lamb, which has like rogue elements to it. It's like, okay, well, this is times two damage, but also you get hurt twice as much. How good are you? Like, this doesn't feel like it has that kind of antagonism that I think I run into with a lot of rogue style games and I think you're those here are to be hurt aren't it. you <laughs> it's kind yeah, of like exactly. the vibe you're like sometimes. oh <laughs> you're really good you love just grinding away with no progress <laughs> no i don't and that's why i don't play a lot of those games but yeah. i don't feel like yeah. bellatro has it may have the genre seeds but it doesn't have the genre tags that i normally associate with rogue games or deck builders yeah and i think it's it, it isn't really a deck builder it is a uh, the deck building you do is five cards. It's your five jokers, right? Or And, yeah. like, it's a deck editor, right? Like, you can change what the deck is, but the deck is already built. It's a 52-card playing card deck. The most common but thing... That's usually, that's usually the thing that stops me from liking right, these games, right. is I can... I, like, like, 
I cannot conceive of. It's too much for me to think of an like a broader strategy to build a deck of cards. Like right. I like what's in front of me. Give me give me uh, 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 ways of manipulating what's right here, as opposed to having to start from scratch. And that's a lot of what you do in Bellaccio. Yeah. It's just there's just less to focus on. And like even like most roguelikes, you you start with a starter deck, but still you're making decisions about taking things in and out that can be disastrous if you aren't tuned into the sort of specifics of like card draw and like how often you're going to get certain cards for a certain combo to fire off. This is kind of similar in that it is still about odds, but it's about odds over a wider spectrum. Like it's a big deck. I feel like most roguelike decks are not that big. You're like probably maxing out at 30 cards a lot of times because they want you to play with the specific order of cards coming out. And this is like, no, we're giving you a playing card deck, 52 cards. Like we we all, not we all, but more people know the odds of, of those hands than, yeah. you know, all these other things, right? So there's this like kind of like baseline, the baseline is lower of like understanding how this deck might draw. Um and it's, uh, I think, really, really clever the way that they've allowed they allow us for like, like I said, like we said before, like us starting to just call out face cards because we're not gonna need them and turn them into stone cards that give us bonuses and start to get double down on sevens, just turn everything into a seven, and then you'll always be drawing two sevens, you know? Um, it's beautiful, uh, and but also still even. I had a beautiful run going once. I had an amazing, <laughs> and I was slapped down. I lost something once so hard. <laughs> I had an amazing run where I had a, I had, a, I forget exactly which card it was, but I had some card that was giving me a wild multiplier every time that I paid, played a face card. Face cards, there's not that many of in a in a deck that doesn't count aces, so it's just jacks, queens, and kings for each suit. Uh, so it's the few, it's the smallest amount of cards that you that you can like kind of focus on in that way. I found a Joker that changed everything into a face card. It doesn't change the value. Like it's a three is still a three, but it counts as a face card. And I was like, perfect, beautiful. I'm getting hundreds of thousands on pairs. It's amazing. I love this. And then face I hit, cards debuffed. And then I <laughs> no, even worse. Okay. I hit a blind. Every face card you get that you draw from your deck is drawn face down. I had an entire hand ah, of face down cards wow. that I could not figure out to play. I just started pulling two from the top end because because they are in you know in sequential order. I was like, maybe these two right. that are next to each other are a pair, and I'm just like wishing, hoping, and it killed. It completely killed that run that I thought I had such a beautiful synergy for, and I like that. There's that moment of like you went too hard into the paint and in, into this specific. <laughs> you went too hard into one. Too greedy. Yeah, exactly. You 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 did not diversify, and uh, that's you know, why I you gotta keep I was your options on your guys's <laughs> your guys's run with the pairs and how y'all just did that. That's why I, that's why I had to hate on that. Yeah, it's like what if I Icarus's wings didn't burn? Like what <laughs> right, could is, right, what right, lesson right. are they learning then? <laughs> nothing, nothing. We were just like these wings are made of pairs and they're going straight to the sky <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's great that it lets you do that and then sometimes it doesn't it doesn't yeah. feel like it's while sometimes it does undermine your strategy it does not feel like it is undermining your strategy by design and, and, I think that's and the there's cool part of it and then there's like there's not that many of those boss blinds i feel like and so at a certain point you understand like 
I know that that's out there. I won't build that strategy again. I'll know that if I have something, I should keep it a little loosey, a little loose in order to be able to, you know, uh, edge my way around ones that are that specific to like, oh, just if you're if you're so into like pairs and you can't play any pairs or something like then, you know, it, it all goes to shit. But like, I think they they've they they do a, a pretty good job of making most of them like you can play around this if you if you know that it's coming and so far that's the only one where i was like man this completely killed the run just kind of randomly but now that i know it's there i feel better going into it being like okay i can, I can just just to be safe i shouldn't do that again <laughs> i had like all multipliers or halved on one of mine. <laughs> oh, no. Um, which I'm looking at like the blinds now and I don't see that. Like, I I know you were real because I saw you like last night. Like, I know <laughs> I saw. I know what I saw. Yeah. Um, I forgot what other like hellscape one I had. So like after I had survived so much that I was like, surely just a regular high number. Can't, well, it's, it's the draw. Sometimes they're drawn down and I just discarded too much. I should have. <laughs> but again, I didn't know. Like, I was like, I just. I don't know. Like it's like, and then you can't undo it. It's just it's yeah. tough. I just had to yeah. turn it off, and well, I'm like I guess I'm going to sleep now. Like it's just I this lives with me now. The thing I learned from this is, you know, Remap's a young company, um, and we're still figuring out what our business model is. But I think part of it is going to be, I want to take Cado to Vegas and stake them. With <laughs> with uh, just like Patrick, like let's, no, let's no, all of us no, meet he's... and discuss like. <laughs> Uh, and obviously, you know, you go big or you go home. It's like how many months of remap, uh, you know, membership subscriptions do we just stake? And I'm black. Uh, no, because we'd be playing game. We'd be playing card games. We would be turning Ricardo we, yeah, we, loose we, on we Vegas. Have to, and I don't even know. Not if the blackjack. Would, fuck blackjack. I would sit down at a poker table though. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. I don't think Kato has like any tells. Rob, what's the closest casino to Pax East? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, oh hell, um, oh, uh, fuck. I do, I do, I do know one. Uh, it's like where the. It's like where the Bruins. Well, they let us record the in, in the casino. Yeah, they actually. I think, I think they just. I think that's that usually up. a no no. Well, I know Vegas lets you record now. They just opened that up where you can record in the casino floor. Mm. Um, I just came from there actually to like get you know get really into blotch. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that would be my. Uh, I think that 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 would be our that would be our play. Uh, is that this is th- this is our big bust out strategy for remap. <laughs> Just you know, oh I, I know I know a lot of people will probably be disappointed in hearing that's how we're we're using membership <laughs> funds, but uh, I think it would be very responsible because I think the potential returns are just through the roof. Uh, you know, if you can't afford not to do this, obviously, actually, yeah. Now that you look at it, like we have we have a cotto and that's competitive edge. And how do we make use of that? We we are, we are now a we we now operate a professional card player. <laughs> That's effectively it. The, the Encore Boston Harbor uh, Casino. Is, oh, that's is right. That one's short, really on. Un- it's a short, eight, short, eighteen minute drive from the Boston <laughs> Convention Center. Oh my god! That one, uh, that one opened, and then COVID hit, and then immediately, like they opened, and it was going to be like, yeah, it was going to be like Vegas tier quality, like a wind resort type experience. And like real quick, they started throttling back the service because it was like this place is a ghost <laughs> town. I don't know if it's picked picked up since then, but. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think I think we have a plan, Kata. Uh, new. Uh. <laughs> oh God, Kata, how are you with pressure? I'm just real quick. I'm just, how are you? 
Uh, oh uh, shit. shit! Is that the problem? Uh, is this the is this the weakness with the, am I, the, weakness with I the plan? Here, the, the problem is I I probably have tells and I don't know them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, right before we go here, just one quick question. Uh, maybe it's already been answered just by by time. But Mark N writes, uh, "How I have a question specifically for Rob, but I think it's about any new pets or children." How do you do anything fun with two dogs? I adopted a five-month-old puppy three months ago. I love him and am working very hard to ensure he is well taken care of and loved, but I hardly have any time to revisit my beloved hobbies. Between taking him on walks and making sure he isn't causing mischief around the house, there's just no time for me to sit at my computer or boot up my Switch. It's so bad that one week where I knew I'd be playing online with my friends, I slowly put the dog to bed earlier and earlier each day, so when the time came, I knew he would be passed out in his crate so his dad could have Friday night with the boys. If you have any guidance on how to balance these important aspects of life or even just to hear about a normal day with the dogs, I'm all ears. I think kind of the thing with dogs as opposed to children is that everything is taking place in a compressed time frame and the period of time you're describing where it's like, I don't know how you have a life. That lasts weeks, but not years, not not even months, really. Like there's there's a point where it's just like. The dog's mischief capacity, its ability to be predictable in like when it naps and like chills the fuck out. There's a there's a period where the, that's at its absolute worst. And it varies kind of by breed. Like, for instance, I'm not sure you can ever trust a young corgi to not cause all kinds of mayhem when your attention is not on it because that that breed gets bored and that breed gets destructive. With like the dogs we've got, for instance, like Tilly, uh, has gotten to a place now where she goes to daycare. It used to be she would be like indefatigable. She would come home from daycare playing all day with dogs, and she was like, "And now I want to play all night." Those days are done. Like she comes home from daycare, <laughs> and she's doing the thing where you can just see the dog like trying to stay awake and slow. It's the cutest little thing in the world, you know. Aww. Slowly, the eyes are like you know, yeah, blinking slower and slower. The head starts to droop, and you're like, "All right." going to be a quiet night but i'm not sure i ever found a a solve for when the dog needs constant attention it has the capacity to like be a danger to itself or to destroy valuable things around the house uh, i don't know that i ever found a solve it was just like a period we had to ride out as best we could um and you know then it passed and then your brain just starts deleting all those files and you're like the dog's always been easy it's not been that bad uh, but I'm curious, like, you know, Patrick, when it comes to kids, everything takes longer. Like that period where like, hey, this child is ambulatory and can endanger its own life or just be annoying as hell. Uh, that is a thing that's not going to be like, who has a bad couple weeks? That can be like a year, two years. Uh, he, yeah, it's ages three to four with my youngest um uh still ongoing um yeah yeah it's it's just longer and but it's also your capacity to find ways to have outlets for that right like can do you have family that could you know like take them for an evening like do you uh have a babysitter that you trust but those are all temporary yeah. right they don't they don't relieve you from the day-to-day grind uh that i think is more what's being spoken to in in the letter that is just age, yeah. right? Like my oldest is now, you know, she couldn't get on a bike and go half a mile for me, but like she goes up and down the block and can go to the park that's nearby with her older friends. And I don't, I don't blink. She can be gone for hours and it doesn't, 
it doesn't mean anything. The youngest is is she's old enough to go to a neighbor's house, but her emotional outbursts uh, have not calmed, and so you mostly just feel guilty. Like if you were to do that, because it's just like I know how she is when she's bad at sharing, and that should not be your burden. And in six months, that probably will be smoothed out by her just gaining some emotional intelligence um, by between being between four and five, but not there yet. So you know, one of the parents has to accompany her to wherever wherever house she's go- going to. Uh, but that is just something that passes, but much like you're saying, yeah. you know, like with with Mina as, as as she got older, like, and at some point you just realize, like, oh right, like. They can go out of sight and be okay for for periods of time. And there's, a, I mean, it's with kids. There's a certain sadness that goes with that because, like, you're excited as they grow. Like, it's the reason I've always turned down. Like, I'd like to write a book some someday, but the the couple of times I've come up with one, I've ultimately walked away from formally pitching it with an agent because when I looked at my time, it's like, oh well, I would write it on weekends. And at some point, my kids aren't going to want to be around me on weekends. Like, no. not not because they hopefully hate me, but because they have their own lives and, like, an interiority that doesn't require me to be a part of it. And then I'll claw back that time and if I want to engage in a project like that. But, uh, like, I'm not there yet. And to some degree, I'm like, well, I don't even want to give that part. Yeah. I don't want to give that part up yet. I'll give it up when, I, when, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm told to. And my hand is whacked by a, a kid that doesn't want to uh, hang out with me in their, their friend's room. But, uh... But yeah, it's just time, unfortunately. Like, and that's true for kids or for for pets. It's just, it's just time. Uh, yeah. I mean, so, and to some degree, you lo- you lose some. Like, by inviting a kid or a pet into your home, you're sacrificing some amount of time that you just never get back, right? Like, and then that's the hopefully what you're getting out of being a parent or being a pet owner is 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 a certain level of happiness that is, you know, uh, uh, compensatory with whatever you're giving up by having to take care of them. Uh, yeah, I, I think for me, like we could not have the second the dog could go to daycare, it was a godsend. Just being able to be like, get those few hours a day where it's like, whew, you can put a plate of food down and it will not immediately be licked or just devoured. Yep. Uh, just the ability to be like, oh man, we can leave that gate open and not worry when the house is silent. You don't have to be like, why is, this, why is the silence so weird? <laughs> yeah. Why can't I yeah, hear you? Yeah. Uh, what's being chewed on yeah exactly uh Count and John I'm curious like if you've if you've ever had like just the the nightmare pet stage where it's like I don't know I I feel like I'm in a dark tunnel and there's no escape <laughs> no I'm spoiled I came in to my boyfriend's life when he already had his cat for some time I forget how old she was at that point she's not like too old now I feel like she's like Five or six. I remember joking that she was in kindergarten at one point. That wasn't too long ago. Mm. Um, so yeah, like she was, and she's like the one of the best behaved cats ever. So it's like it's a pretty chill life with Bruce. Every now and then, you know, she's not perfect. It's like we had to, you know, or like uh, what did she have? Not that long. At one point, oh, she, we had to take her to the vet at one point because she, um, was like peeing in weird places, and she like doesn't do that. So usually that's a sign that like you're pet might have like some type of issue or like infection and she like kind of had like a little bit of something but mostly they're like i think she's kind of fine give her this food here's a bill for three to five hundred dollars and that's basically it so for us at this point most of our pet issues are more like random health things than like a time thing but a cat is also a very like low maintenance pet as far as like 
mean, not as low maintenance as like maybe like a like a goldfish or like a hamster or something, but it's as low maintenance as you can get while still feeling like you have a friend, which I think is a great spot for a vet to be at. Um, would love to give a get a dog at one point, but that is a much bigger financial and time burden. So, yeah, that's basically been my experience. One that's pretty spoiled. Basically, the Bellatra run of life is what I'm having with this cat. <laughs> yeah, like, I, was... I don't gotta do much. The litter box is automated. We have like one of the automatic. We it's just what do we have to do? Automate it. Boom. And <laughs> that's that's a, wow. that's a robot's job now. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna I say it once a week. <laughs> I never, I never had to deal with that specific sort of thing because I had cats. <laughs> I've always had cats, and even at the smallest that I ever owned a cat, they're pretty. You know, I never had the baby baby is a thing. I never really had the 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 when they're like they really do need help. By the time they, by the time I I had a cat, I had the cats. They were like, you know, a, they were like young teens. They were preteens <laughs> no. uh, in like kept the cat sense. It feels like so. Um. But even then, like, yeah, cats are so, like, kind of, they're very chill. They're very yeah. low maintenance. I don't know. I feel like even, like, I feel like you probably have to change out a hamster's, like, cage more often That's than you thing have to, too. like, deal I with, guess like, you're right. a, 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 a kitty litter sometimes. And I think you have to the let setup. them, like, run around more. I, you know, a cat, yeah. maybe you have to play with your cat, like, for psychological reasons. But I'll tell you, yeah. my cat is not interested in playing. Like, it's, I'm lucky if I can get her a do much of anything she's very chill i had a cat so, yeah, who used to fetch which is it. great nice that's fun. Um, so toss my little... cat goes crazy for the the bee on the stick oh yeah, yeah. that's like a big hit yeah. yeah um there's like a cardboard thing on like a swirl that she likes and she really likes um i bought like this like it's supposed to be a toy that moves it's like a little pickle and it's supposed to like shake like uh-huh. a little animal and it's like oh you can attack it like your instincts she's like no 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 that scares me. <laughs> like, of course it would. It's so like she those... only likes it when it's turned off. But I'm like, it wouldn't have been $15 if it didn't have a motor. So right. why did I, whatever. You like it? A toy you're using? Yes. yes. Good. I, I, you like it, I love it. Like, yeah. I've never felt you like it, I love it more than ever with another creature than with this finicky cat. Yeah, right now we, uh, the only toy that is satisfying is not a toy at all. There's the dogs are just like we're over our toys. We don't care about any of these things. We'll destroy your house instead of playing with any of these toys unless you give us tribute in the form of egg crate. We demand a cardboard container of a dozen eggs cut in half so each of the dogs gets half of an egg crate and then we just like savage it. Just absolutely like fantastic Mr. Fox and destroy the egg crate and that's that's the only that that buys us an afternoon of sanity and then that is it. Uh, so that is sorry. I hope that's the, I, I'm sorry if that's not more helpful, Mark. I think it's just sometimes <laughs> it's like you're just in it and you're going to be in it less than you think. I think to Patrick's point, the minute it starts to let up, you're also going to become keenly aware that a phase of life is over and you're going to be a little melancholy. You're going to be like, I enjoy this little bit of extra time I've got. I enjoy things are a little more sane, but also like. My baby's just a little bit less than less baby now, and that's gonna that's gonna hit you. Anyway, that concludes another episode of Remap Radio. Our theme song is by Two Mello. You can check out his work on twomello.net. You can follow everything we do here at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and our platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support. And you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and clicking sign up. 
This week, subscribers got to hear free versions of Patrick's Conversation with Limited Run Games, uh, John Smith, as well as this show you are listening to right now. Next week, we will have a uh, another episode of the HOA where Patrick and I are going to discuss why so many home listings look like clean rooms. Uh, it turns out they're going to be people. They're going to be people in your life. are going to be like this home looks nice, but it could look more like a clean room, and that's good business. Uh, we'll be back next week. Oh, so streaming. Sorry, your sport does let us uh, set time aside for streaming. This week we played Dark Forces. Uh, we also Kato and I had a blast run. We reversed the fortunes of Over- Overhoff Racing. It was a real. Real great episode of Motorsport Manager. Uh, Kato, I was panicking. I lost my cool. I was like, we got to stop the car. We got to stop the car. And Kato was like, shut up. If he dies, he dies. Love. And uh, we we did well. We we didn't uh, win the race. Look, we, it's we, about... It's about playing the odds, you know? <laughs> odds are either we lose or we lose... Exactly. But, exactly. But that's, the, what, that's what that's what that's what the AP Cal test teaches you. That's what Kyle got a five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God. And of course, we oh. also had the wheel of GeForce Now. Uh, so be sure to check out all of that on our Twitch channel, or the, check out the VOD when it hits YouTube. We'll be back next week with another episode of Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us. Fuck capitalism. Go home. <laughs>